everyone welcome to secrets of saturn live every wednesday normally it's wayne mccroy and i coming with you uh tonight i am joined with crow triple seven and the great baldini because wayne has a prior obligation but that's all right we're still going to try and give you a killer show gentlemen welcome to wednesday nights well glad to be here hey man uh, long time no see. I know, right? Felt felt like we haven't recorded every day this week. <laughs> Actually, it is a long time no see. What's that going on, man? You got like a semi-spock kind of something beard going on. Are you copying me, dude? You got a beard going on. I got my Aragorn. I'm doing David Gilmore, 1970. What do you think? Uh, I don't know. I'm all about beards, man. Anything that <laughs> prevents you from shaving two-thirds of your face, it's got to be a good thing. Uh, well, it started because my face had felt a little sore one day i don't know if i just used a crap razor or something and then rose said she liked it so i let it grow out and now i've got the whole return of the king going on here so you know. i'm yeah, leaving it be for the moment and you're still looking like a baby i don't even detect any white in there you like that you like that yeah i, I believe i just turned 47 on saturday 30s. i know <laughs> i was gonna say i had white in my beard when i was in my 30s <laughs> 
All right, so before we get into this evening's topic, which is Masonic symbolism, we'll have a quick word from our friend Randy from Houston. He's our sponsor. Hopefully everyone will check out LowerTheFriction.com. I've been using it in my Honda for a while now, a good couple of weeks, and I'm still averaging three to five miles per gallon extra with that product in my engine. So here we go. Did you know that 85% of your engine wear occurs at startup? Yes, that is correct. And this is where Lower the Friction comes in by putting a protective lubricating barrier on all moving parts. This now gives you full-time protection to make your engine last longer, run smoother, give you better performance, and improve fuel economy. People across the country are reporting some very exciting results. Go to LowerTheFriction.com, place your order, and enter in promo code SOS to get 5% off of your order. That's LowerTheFriction.com. All right. That's the funny little voiceover I made about a week ago, and Randy seemed to really like it. He made a video out of it, by the way. So anyway, all right, gentlemen, we're going to do Masonic Symbolism tonight. We are going to open this evening's show with a reading. With a secret handshake. I know the secret handshakes, a few of okay. them anyway. I've, I've looked at this stuff for so long. <laughs> um, actually, if you really want a good crash course on Masonic stuff, Bill Cooper's uh, Mystery Babylon series has a ton of it in there. He's got some really, really, really good stuff uh, in that 42, 43 episodes, whatever it is. <clears throat> By the way, uh, let me know how the sound is. We always seem to have a little bit of balance issues between three different microphones so let me know if i have to adjust anything chat room if you would please but we're going to open with a reading from a book that i found a very interesting book and it's called the obelisk and freemasonry according to the discoveries of belzoni and commander goringe also egyptian symbols compared with those discovered in american mounds man in the 19th century they sure had long titles for books i'll tell you it was written by john a vice MD, and it was published in 1880. Now, this gentleman was, of course, a Freemason, and he dedicated the book to all of the Freemasons around the globe. As our Secretary of State, Mr. Evarts, considered Commander Goringe's discoveries on the obelisk of sufficient importance to open a correspondence between the State Department and our Consul General, Mr. Farman, we feel encouraged that the manuscript, manuscripts, drawings, etc. presented to us by Mrs. Belzoni at Brussels in 1850 will corroborate Commander Goringe's opinions and prove that an institution similar to Freemasonry existed in Egypt before pyramids and obelisks, because the Masonic tools, perpendicular, square, compass, plummet, etc., were required to construct Egypt's architectural wonders and must therefore have antedated those wonders. Moreover, these implements must have been used in building Babel, Nineveh, and Babel's Tower in the Valley of the Euphrates. The article on Belzoni's manuscripts and drawings, published by the New York Herald in, on uh, February 16, 1880, attracted much attention and elicited letters from the Far West. So did Consul Farman's erudite and graphic paper, now in the State Department, among the National Archives. It was published by the New York World, April 21st, 1880. In this epitome, we shall quote Belzoni's manuscripts on Egyptian Freemasonry, illustrated by colored drawings as found on the walls of the rock-excavated Masonic Temple, constructed by Pharaoh Seti I, also known as Ozymandias. That name sound familiar to anybody who might have heard of uh, a certain comic book? As yeah, well as his son. 
There's actually another thing there. I think it's Ozymandias um, because the great Pymander, I'm not going to interrupt you, but the great Pymander is in the same vein. Cool. <clears throat> Along with his son, Ramses II, also known as Sesostris. That's a, that's a mouthful. Anyone who will take the trouble to read this epitome and consider its illustrations will realize that secret societies like Freemasonry existed in remote antiquity and were the prerogative of kings, hierophants, and magnates. As in Egypt, pharaohs, princes, hierophants, and magnates were masons, engineers, and architects. Freemasons of our day may look with pride toward the cradle of civilization, of which the coming obelisk will be a worthy representative in the new world. So why am I reading this to you? Because the modern Freemasons will most likely tell you something should you ask them. Something along the lines of, Freemason, Freemasonry is a fraternal organization that arose from obscure origins in the late 16th to early 17th century. By their own admission, it would seem, apparently, that they knew that they were around in antiquity, hundreds of years or thousands of years ago. Well, that's it's kind of a fact. Everything they do <laughs> is based in, in, in Egypt, so for them to act like it's not is a bit ironic, wouldn't right? you say? <laughs> sure, but, de but depending on who you ask, you, you ask one group or one mason, and they'll say, absolutely, we're proud of the fact it goes back into ancient antiquity. You ask another, and they go, oh, that's just a myth. It's just a fable. Um, so like most things, it's, it's uh, difficult to um, you know take them at face value. Well, what's ironic about masonry more than anything, and by the way, as Jason knows, I've been doing all this kind of Vatican, early Vatican research. Um, it started around usury, but as I got going, I realized I could demonstrate that some of the forms of masonry we see now came out of the Rosicrucians, literally leapt from the Rosicrucians, which got their steam from the early Vatican. That's one of the paths, and I don't bother with the Knights Templar because there's too much nonsense to try to ever unravel there. Um, but what I was going to say is in the early Vatican, very few people understand. It's the same thing with the Masons. The Masons' main thing is the Jewish temple. The whole damn thing is based on Jewish religion. All of it. Um, the temple, the the three assassins, the whatever the hell the dude's name they kill is that I can't think Hiram of at Abif. the moment. There you go. Abiff. Um, and then all their symbolo symbology comes from Egypt, which supposedly the Jews escaped Egypt. Um, and yet they've had the gall all this time to deny these associations. Baldini, you got anything you want to... No, I mean, you, know, you, guys, you guys are on it. I mean, uh, uh, again, with the... With all the uh, the Masonic stuff, I mean, there's plenty to unravel here, and I'm sure that we'll get to to lots of it. Um, but I was listening to a, a variety in preparation for this, listening to a variety of what Masons say about themselves, and uh, again, they they have a tendency to try to just say, oh, it's it's all based in myth, and um, they'll they'll speak directly to the things that we have uncovered and discovered about them, and then uh, say that it's untrue, uh, but directly uh, associate with it and then say, you know, it's all doublespeak. So uh, one of the things that's very clear, even when you, um, you know, read from Manly 
P. Hall is that he very specifically says that uh, they mislead and misguide their their junior members uh, such that they can then kind of play the cover. So if you ask any of the the standard rank and file Masons, they're going to give you the, the standard um, you know uh, party line. So uh, in looking at any of these kind of things, you have to do the research yourself. You can never listen directly to what um, the people uh, that you're researching say about themselves. I mean, you, you want to certainly take it into account, but it's very much like if you're trying to research NASA, uh, you're not going to uh, depend on them as the primary source of information. Uh, <laughs> so, um, you know, you, you want to you listen to what they have to say and take it into context. Uh, but certainly, anytime you're doing research on a, on a group, especially one that considers itself a secret society, there are reasons that people keep secrets. And that usually is not uh, for um, toward um, you know uh, productive types of things. There's usually the reason that there's secrets kept is uh, because you don't want other people to know. So I think you just have to take that into account when you're going through all this stuff. So um, th- there is a great deal of symbolism involved, certainly, and uh, much of it does go back to to ancient Egypt and all the mystery schools. Uh, so the if you want to relate it directly to Babylonian mystery religion, it's it's certainly there as well. And there's a interlocking nature between uh, this type of mystery school specifically and many of the others. If you look at OTO and that sort of thing, uh, they all have many of the, the similar uh, roots and symbology. So I'm sure that we'll get to, to more of this as we look at their stuff. And as you started with the obelisk, there's there's plenty there just in, in that symbolism itself. You know, Jason and I covered the, uh, the Devil's Pulpit at one point, which makes it pretty clear that the rank-and-file Masons are just window dressing and that they're all being lied to. Sure. Even the religious ideas that they're given are just cover. Um, but what I've noticed in my research that's going at the early Vatican, I set out to do a couple things to, to try to determine, pinpoint when usury, which is to me foundational to what went wrong with our world, um, got in there, which I found pretty quickly. But what we find is hermeticism. What most people don't know about hermeticism, it's like everything else in this world, there's a dark side to it too. You just don't read that much about it. That was in the Vatican with Kabbalah, with Jewish rabbis who could translate the Old Testament or the Torah um, for the people there that it all infiltrated and that all this Masonic stuff has a rooting in the Hermetics, but very few people understand when you talk about uh, Ben Franklin at the Hellfire Club, that's a branch directly tied to, to Masonic concerns that went into black magic. And by the way, the Ku Klux Klan in the South, they're a bit, to make a terrible pun, they're a bit like the whipping boys of the Masons. Um, it's all connected, and at its foundation, it all relates to the Hermeticism, which is attributed to Hermes Trismegistus. And by the way, get this, the early Vatican actually tried to make the case that Hers- Hermes Trismegistus lived concurrent with Moses. Well, how about that? Well, uh, but, uh, you know, at at which time? Because he's thrice born, right? So, uh, <laughs> right. in which incarnation? Uh, would, would, would <laughs> Was it say, breakfast, lunch, or dinner? Exactly, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and you know, and to your point, Crow, uh, you can directly tie some of these uh, things not only with the Hellfire Club, but uh, certainly uh, Aleister Crowley, who's certainly well known by most people. Um, him and uh, numerous other uh, people from that side of the. Uh, we'd say the the left hand path or the or the black magic schools um, were given uh, honorary thirty three degree um, masonic um, you know um, 
<clears throat> membership. So um, there, there certainly is something to be uh, looked at there when they're giving uh, the highest rank possible as an honorary member without working up through the uh, different levels. Uh, there certainly would indicate uh, some, again, interlocking nature between these, whether it's, again, the Rosicrucians, whether it's the, the Jesuit order, whether it's any of the, uh, the the knight orders that are that are out there or the or the Masons. So uh, they'll they'll will um, especially, you know, deny it um, at the higher levels anytime that you you know look at um if you if you trust uh, discovery channel or anything like that and they have their they love to have their programs where they'll come on and oh the secrets of the masons and then they'll come on and just say ah it's a bunch of poppycock right um again these are the uh, you never want to go to to the source of who you're investigating and take them at, at face value if you're doing a, a serious uh, type of research again i, I have no um, intention to besmirch anybody who belongs to the masons or somebody who's grandfather or parents were in the Masonic uh, Lodge and low-level members. There's a lot of people. It, it was for, for a very long time, uh, certainly up until the 50s and 60s anyway, um, considered part of your civic duty to, to belong right. to the Masonics or, yeah. or Rotarians or whatever. Uh, it was just kind of considered what you did as a uh, as a good member of, of the community. Uh, so, so I'm not here to bes- besmirch anybody who who did that or or your ancestry, but um, certainly at the higher levels, we can we can look at these things and draw some direct lines uh, and lineage uh, to some of the things that they said themselves. And um, I would uh, again point out that that many of these things, when they they point out, um, for for example, that. Manly P. Hall specifically says that uh, the 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 brightest light is found in the in the depths of the darkness. Um, that's going to tell you something about uh, the source of uh, of their uh, of their light. Uh, and and he very clearly says that that Lucifer is the bringer of light, and that is uh, their god. So, uh, you know, they they wouldn't uh, again uh, say that to to anybody who's joining as a new member, of course. But uh, this is but they very clearly again Manly P. Hall as well as others did very clearly state that. Uh, they mislead and misdirect their their new members. So, uh, as you said, they're window dressing. So, you know, you know what's here. Here's the thing for me. Um, you know, all I'm adopted, but all my grandparents and all my great grandparents were in in the Masons. Um, on my mom's side, they were like blue collar, like in tin tin working places. On my other side, on my dad's side. There were sea captains, but they everyone back in that day was a member, but they were rank and file. But here's my problem with it. So you can take a founder, supposed founding father of our country like Ben Franklin. You can tie him to the Hellfire Club. What's going on there is a couple things, and it's sinister. It's sex magic. It's dark sex magic that's going on there. They dig out a cave because, as we could may or may not talk about, the importance of the cave or the tomb or the arch, that, that idea that is you know prevalent in masonry, um, that hidden place. They took all the dirt out of that cave for the Hellfire Club and they used it to pave a road. And then there's, from, from the one town to the other, they used to pave it. There's now a university there that starts with B. I can't remember the name, but that is one of the main seats for cybernetics. And we've talked about cybernetics and what a blight on humanity cyber it is and it's going to be. But then even like right now I'm doing research on Downard, um, the, the, the author who died, um, who for my money cracked toponymy, ononymy, or basically the encoding of the place, the encoding of the name, the encoding of the numbers. He's the guy who cracked all that. Um, he claims that even Graham Bell over there on Jekyll Island 
was all wrapped up in Masonic, what they called magnetic witchcraft and animal magnetism, and it all wrapped around sexual magic. So those are my problems because it's one thing to have a community where everyone's grandfather was probably in the Rotary or some version of it, but then it's gone sideways, and there's this whole contingency we know nothing about that's lied about that have gone to the dark side. It's basically basically Darth Vader, to be blunt about it. But there, there's my issue. By the way, should we uh, take a moment to mention how you become a Freemason? Should someone actually desire to be so? You, you don't have to get a sponsor. You have to get someone who's uh, a Mason to invite you. Yep. The, 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 I thought you could just knock on the door. Can't you you can't. Knock on the door? Here's the thing. They're never going to ask you. They actually have a cute little T-shirt I've seen that says, are you interested or do you want to know more? You have to ask the right questions. Well, the right question is, hey, I'm interested. What would I have to do to, to join? They're, never, they're, not, they're not supposed to ask you. Of course, I'm sure some people break that rule a little bit. But, sure, uh, I wasn't. I was invited if I if I wanted to know more about about uh, being a Mason, if I was interested in it, because I, I had lunch with a guy. This was in my early twenties. Uh, he was wearing a Masonic ring, and uh, I noted it. And I was already from somewhat familiar with the uh, the Masonic backstory at the time. And he asked if I was more more interested. If I was interested in learning more and in, in coming to a lodge with him, and I said I'd be interested in learning more, but. <laughs> not enjoying not enjoying <laughs> and i think he understood i think he understood what what angle i was coming from then so that that ended that conversation but uh th there's a lot of old terminology uh that that in the research that i've done in, in the late 19th century are you a traveling man um uh, those uh kind of kind of the little passwords or that sort so, of stuff are you so so wait a minute if you're playing in a traveling band you're somehow connected you're ruining my whole back catalog <laughs> of the 70s yeah i'm sorry sorry to break those here come on is that in coat no I'm just couldn't couldn't be <laughs> uh jason gay thank you so much for the ten dollar super chat you're awesome dude see you all the time on the uh on the facebook group but yes uh to become a freemason you, uh, you basically just have to ask. And they, they do require, as far as I understand it, I've never done this, but I've spoken to some people about it, that you need two people to sponsor you, or basically they're going to vouch for you. Uh, there's three degrees in what they call your mother lodge or the blue lodge, which is your home lodge, and it will be forever if you do join. First degree is called the entered apprentice. Second degree is called the fellow craft. And the third degree is the master mason. And a lot of people, probably most of them really, stop there. And Most do, right? Yeah. That's because, because they give them the third degree. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Try not to laugh here. <laughs> I mean, no, I, what, do, what do I want to do if I want to join, but I still want to believe in Corona, watch the evening news, and vote for Trump? Can I be like a semi-free Mason? Semi-free? Yeah. Well, uh, I, I would say don't go above the third degree then. Just uh, just stay right there. Uh, of course, from there you can choose the York right or the, or the uh, Scottish, Scottish right. right yeah. But uh, we'll get there. We'll get there. Uh, let's... Now, now I thought, but, but wait a minute. I thought York Wright, for the most part, had been knocked out of commission. Is that not correct? No, as far as I know, they're still around. And there's a bunch of other similar such organizations like uh, Odd Fellows, and there's a whole bunch of others as well, the Rosicrucians. They're all very, very similar. Yes, well, Odd Fellows, the Eagles. Yeah, in the study for Downer, there's a claim that there was a war between the York and the Scottish, and the Scottish won, and that even though the York is still around, they've been seriously demoted or whatever the 
correct way to respond. So that's that's the claim in the downward work, which is why I asked. Well, I, the York right, I've never heard of them having a lot of power in any of the research I've ever done. All the everything I've ever seen points to the southern jurisdiction of the Scottish right Freemasonry. That's where the yeah. power structure supposedly is, but I mean, you have to take that's this stuff with a grain of salt. But that's what all the re, uh, all the all the people who have kind of spilled the beans, if you can trust it, uh, that's what they say. So who knows? Well, it, Downard even identifies all the lodges and who found. I mean, it's pretty much. I mean, it's it's not like it couldn't be vetted out. Right. Um, I, and I have not taken the time to vet it to that level, but I assume if he's writing things like that, it must be trustworthy on some level. Person with his reputation, anyhow. All right, let's talk about obelisks. This word is derived from Greek, and it means spit or brooch. In Latin, we have obeliscus. Under the earliest pharaohs, the Egyptian or the Coptic word for obelisk was tekhen, T-E-K-H-E-N. After the 22nd dynasty, it was called men, M-E-N, which meant stability. Another ancient Egyptian term for obelisk had the meaning of written column and was considered quite sacred. An obelisk is a four-sided pillar tapering from the base and terminating not in a flat surface, but in a pyramidion, which is the diminutive for pyramid. It is usually of one piece styled monolith or one stone. Originally, these monoliths were used as funeral monuments and were either of sandstone, limestone, or granite. Later, they were of rose-colored granite composed of quartz, feldspar, and hornblende. This granite was named Cyanite from Syene, a city in Upper Egypt, where those beautiful monoliths were quarried. They were placed on pedestals before gateways of the principal temples in Egypt, one on each side of the door. Thus, an obelisk consists, consists of a pedestal, shaft, and pyramidion, which terminates in an apex. All right, are we going to say what everybody's thinking? or? <laughs> well, what is the obelisk? I didn't even put it in the notes because I think everybody knows this already, that it is a representation of the penis of Osiris. But who wants to... Not, uh, not, yeah, not just any old penis. That's a circumcised penis. It's a circumcised penis, and it's the golden shaft of Osiris. But anybody want to run with that before I move on? Well, <laughs> you, you know, uh, they, they have them in some notable locations around the world. Yes, they do. Well, yeah, it was killing me when you gave the initial Greek meaning spit or brooch. What's that about? <laughs> I'm just saying. Well, yes. They... Uh, look, there's something I learned from Jordan Maxwell a very, very long time ago, and that's that most of these ancient religions and secret societies kind of revolve around sex. <laughs> Yes, they well, that's that's the whole hermetic thing too. Just because it's the male female aspects, and of course the sun, you know, those obelisks are always tracking the sun, mm -hmm. and in almost everywhere, uh, the sun would be the masculine, and in the one we're talking about, Amun Ra or Ra, um, is going to be the masculine. So it's almost like every religion had to do with men and women make children, and this is how it's done, and it's not the way we think about it now. But somehow we got up to where we are now, where if someone says penis, they're off YouTube. <laughs> well, we said it. I like how Bill Cooper used to pronounce it. The penis of Osiris. <laughs> I can't quite you get my I, voice as deep as him, though. I, I don't mean to totally change the subject, but I just got my window up. You, you, Where did you get that badass logo for Crow? I don't even have that logo. <laughs> Is that's that a one of the t-shirts, dude. That's the one that's, it doesn't, you can't see it very well, but I loved the Crow, so I just left it up. That is the one that says, I don't accept that. 
I feel like I saw it, but I feel like I should have a copy of it too. Anyhow, I'm you do have it. You sent Go it to ahead. Me. Let's get back to penises. Well, we'll get back to penises, <laughs> Crow. It'll, well, don't worry about that. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you have this. This was the one that was on the transparent background in that group that you sent me that David Weiss made. Oh, okay. I and when I... I dropped it on here, the transparency worked. So it just looks really cool. So I left it there. That is pretty cool. It looks like he's saying something, though. All the other crows have their mouth shut. That doesn't seem right. <laughs> no, does it? I liked this one a lot. So that's why I decided to pick it for tonight. <laughs> All right. So, of course, why are we going on and on about obelisks? I think that one's pretty obvious to most people. They're quite important to the elite, marking their territory, you might say. There are obelisks in each of the three city states. Cleopatra's Needle is the popular name for each of the three ancient obelisks re-erected in London and New York City during the 19th century. The obelisks in London and New York are actually a pear, and there is not a pear, like the fruit, but a P-A-I-R. There are obelisks in London and New York, but there's also one in Paris that was part of a pear that was originally from a different site in Luxor, Egypt, and the twin still remains there. The other city-state, Vatican City, also has an obelisk, and it's in its city square. The obelisk on the square. Circle on the square. Gotta love all this stuff. It was brought to Rome from Egypt by Caligula in 37 AD. A good question is, why do these city-states have thousands of years old Egyptian obelisks? Interestingly, there are more there are multiple Egyptian obelisks standing in Rome. In fact, there are 13 altogether. Eight of them are of ancient Egyptian origin, and five are ancient Roman. There are more erect obelisks, pun intended, from Egypt standing in Rome than there are anywhere else in the world, including Egypt, which is something I just found out today. Most of the stuff I I knew already, (laughs) I didn't realize that Rome had them all. (laughs) (laughs) They were all brought to Rome by various Roman emperors over the centuries. The Vatican obelisk is also known as Caligula's obelisk. It is the only ancient Egyptian obelisk in Rome to have remained standing since the Roman times. You know know why that is? Um, There was actually a point when true, what they called true Christianity at some level, and they threw down and broke actually many of them. The one that you just referenced, and here's this is unbelievable when you read the account of it. They decided to move it 270 yards. It took them over a year. They passed all these papal bulls that if you had stuff they needed to move it, they could just come take it from you. They could take their cows and use your fields to let them graze. All this stuff just to move the damn obelisk 270 yards. And by the way, at that time, it was the last one that had not been tipped over and thrown down by actual Christians. Um, not appreciating what it was about. So there's all that. Yeah, and the the one, uh, the oldest one uh, in Rome is the let, uh, the Lateran obelisk, and uh, it went back and forth between Alexandria and Rome numerous times <laughs> uh, until it was finally restored. And uh, I mean, they they got broke and buried and burned, and um, I don't know how you burn it, but uh, until they the last restoration was in 1588, uh, now has a, a cross on it, but it's the the world's largest uh, standing uh, Egyptian uh, one, and it's still it's in in Rome still. It was back and forth um, uh, to Alexandria and then Constantinople and um, back and forth and I mean they just it, it traveled all over so they definitely have a uh, a, a very um, 
they're very focused on these obelisks, and it has uh, important meanings. And they're not uh, they're they're not um, you know just content to uh, do like the one in Washington D.C. The Washington Monument, which is build a new one. Uh, most of the ones that you see uh, in Rome are ancient Egyptian ones, straight out of Egypt, and that that should tell you something that they went through this kind of effort uh, to to establish them there. Well, they're the the old ones. I don't know. I don't know what they're doing with the new ones that they're building. There's tech in those, but the old ones have resonance. They're like antennas, mm-hmm. um, among other things. But one of the things that struck me is the dude that moved that big obelisk that's currently in St. Peter's Square or the plaza there, 270 yards or thereabouts, a couple football fields. Um, he is famous for publishing the method of how he did it which is a bit ironic right so this dude just takes a tip or an obelisk puts it upright and moves it to football fields and erects it on a stand and he's famous to all architects in this world so what does that tell you about the dudes who originally cut them and originally moved them Um, because just the moving of those two football fields was a massive expense and it took them over a year and the whole time they were scared to death they were going to break it um, so it goes to show you how far we've fallen, even from the point back then, which we've fallen from, uh, it was a great feat to move a damn obelisk to football fields. And there's no, you know, who's, who's out there celebrating the guys who actually cut them, um, with apparently no Roman technology of the day. Um, I'm just saying. Yeah, the idea that they could uh, they could uh, quarry these things. Many of them were uh, solid, uh, single solid pizza quartz, uh, and, and do that with uh, you know bronze uh, chisels and hammers is is of course preposterous. Uh, but them being uh, of solid quartz, uh, they definitely uh, many of them do have specific resonance frequencies and will uh, maintain uh, uh, energy from their surroundings uh, in a variety of methods, um, both sound energy and uh, physical electrical energy that it picks up from uh, the, you know, you go, you get 100 volts uh, per meter as you go up. It's got very low wattage, uh, but it, but as you go vertical from the uh, plane of the ground, uh, you get 100 volts of electricity as you go uh, as you go higher. And this is the basis of what um, many people are now calling Antiquatech. Um, there are uh, fractal arrays that we find in old buildings that uh, clearly begin to um, th- they actually grab this energy and, and can reroute it so it's it's pretty interesting I, I'm convinced that um, those monumental stones that are so big that it's mind-bending um, I'm of a mind that cymatics may be an answer to that and it's funny because I thought about this a lot of times but it must have been I don't know, close. It must have been around the year 2000, so almost 20 years ago. um, I was meeting people in the Tibetan community because I wanted to get the old texts. And in the Tibetan community, all these lamas that fled over to this part of the world, they would give teachings that were never published beyond the group of people. So I was interested in trying to get those. And one of these old tulkus gave the account that they would line up all the llamas way back in antiquity in a triangular shape in a certain way. Um, and there would be horns and other vibratory things, the human voice. And then I forget what was supposed to be at the point of the, of the triangular formation of human beings and instruments. And they would come to resonance. Um, and they said they could lift a rock of any size or anything 
of any size by coming to resonance with it. And I always thought it was fascinating. And I never got to meet the guy, but I did have that text that was taught to, I think, about 20 people and dispersed between them. I had a copy, which I no longer have, unfortunately. But maybe that's how they were moving those massive stones with cymatics. I wouldn't be surprised at all, especially if you look into the uh, uh, Coral Castle there in Florida. Mm. Uh, what, uh, you know, he had that kind of ice, what was described to sort of look like, like a big ice cream cone or, or whatever. Uh, and that same conical structure is seen in some old hieroglyphics and uh, bas relief uh, uh, uh stuff from ancient times in a variety from a variety of cultures so it it does stand to reason that that uh, that sound energy may have been a, a part of uh, not only moving them but uh, but cutting them uh, although we do see machining tools on many of those uh, big obelisks as well much of the uh, much of the large stone structures do so signs of uh, high energy uh, high uh, uh, machine tools uh, very very uh, even better than some of the stuff that we have today in terms of uh, high high revolution, uh, high energy machining tools. Probably not burning, uh, probably not laser, but but uh, very high energy uh, machining tools uh, that that cut and polish those stones to a very high degree. Well, without me bogarting and giving it right back to Jason, I'll put out the call one more time. Cymatics is one of the most important hidden uh, old sciences, and if anyone knows where to get a complete map of cymatic patterns we're not talking about the caladni we're aware of the caladni that's the one they trot out um, but for some reason there is unavailable as far as i can tell mappings of all the frequencies and i think this is critically important because of what we're talking about because of what cymatics could do and also because of the way stars look when you film them out of focus but that by the way, Marty Leeds is in uh, the D Live chat room, and someone said he wanted to come on with us. You are welcome to join us, my friend, if you uh, want want to have a chat with us about this subject. Bust him in. Yes, yeah, you're welcome. I just to... saw someone talking about him in one of the chats. Yeah, I, I just saw it. So I've been, I, I I messaged him on the uh, on the D Live chat, but it's hard for me to follow all this stuff. There's so much stuff jumping at you all the time. I can't even watch <laughs> it. I just look at the notes and my my own damn business. But yes, Marty, <laughs> if you want to join us. Um, the Skype is open. Just message me and I'll add you in. You are definitely welcome. That'd be awesome. All right. And shakes his fist at D-Live. <laughs> All right. Let's move on to the black and white checkerboard floor. Now, this is something that you see all the time. Nothing uh, to see here. Old diners, old manor houses, a lot of times uh, expensive homes, uh, Victorian-style homes. They used it a lot. Tons and tons and tons of music videos. You'll see this all over the place. But what is it actually? Well, to break it down to its simplest form, this is a symbol of the duality of nature. It is said that Solomon's temple had a mosaic pavement. It can be said that it is a hermetic symbol, representational of the fourth hermetic principle of polarity. The fourth principle embodies the truth that everything has its pair of opposites, Everything has two poles and exists in a state of duality. It explains that there are two poles in everything and that opposites are really only two extremes of the same thing, of the same thing, the difference being only in degree. Yeah, I mean, m most of the stuff when you get to things like this or the hermetic principles, they're sound. Not only are they sound, they're common sense. Not only are they common sense, they ended up getting used in the natural sciences, what I'll call the acceptable uh, use of alchemy, not the kind of black magic-y nonsense that 
so many of the power players went for. Um, but this kind of tessellated game board idea is part of this too. The chess board and other things. Um, and that too is symbolic because not only have the at the root of what you said, it's provably true, but it's also representing a, a gameplay. And it's also representing other things about the control of the entire world, basically. And I know Baldini can pride quite a bit about the tessellated game board. <clears throat> yeah, they they do uh, quite a bit of that. It's been um, done in a, in a variety of well, you can see it clearly in in both uh, you know chess and and checkers, uh, as well as many of the the old uh, the old games going back again far into antiquity. And uh, certainly, we see that the same symbolism used in the uh, as above, so below. Uh, as well as the inversion, uh, we see all, all through these um, all through these messages that they uh, both uh, put in plain sight and invert and hide. So, yeah. Well, there's another thing I was going to mention. Um, Jason and I have covered ad nauseum in many of our strongest episodes the idea of game theory. Um, game theory is a big deal, and it plays into what we're talking about here because of what we're talking about here, because that's also wrapped up in the symbolizing that a game is in, in progress here, um, that pieces are moving on that tessellated board. Yeah. Um, but in game theory, uh, that becomes key in artificial intelligence because it is game theory, we are told, that actually puts the final nuts and bolts into AI that can now teach itself. But I was going to ask you, uh, because you're so much further down the line in math than I'll ever be, there is, is it called tessellation geometry or algebra? There's a form of math that actually uses game theory, which I believe has tessellation in it. Are you familiar with it? Yeah, te tessellated geometry. You're, there you yeah, go. you're right, tessellation, yeah. So that's um, that's been key in some of the kind of pushing us around in the modern age. Sure, and um, it, it really goes back to, um, a, I mean, what, the way that it, it begins to manifest itself is in a, a large number of fractal patterns, and you'll see exactly this sort of uh, same sort of thing in cymatics as well, so it kind of ties back to that. We see these uh, these same sort of um, what you would call tessellations or um, the, the demonstrations of these uh, fractal natures, right? So you're going to see all kinds of... Um, uh, you know, aporetic uh, tilings and that sort of stuff uh, as it uh, as it comes out, and so uh, the way that it breaks out in the geometric patterns uh, is is uh, fascinating. And we go back uh, as we go back further and into antiquity. What I find fascinating is that uh, in especially in uh, ancient Indian temples, you, you find uh, many uh, of these um, images, uh, and that we would might call. Um, uh, oh, I'm having a. I'm so tired. I have a brain fart here. Uh, Mandela's, um, what we would generally call Mandela's, uh, but they look for all the world like cymatics and when you get uh, kind of reverse them uh, and look at the um, and, and I've been trying to play with that for a while Crow is to try to do kind of a reverse cymatics and look at images and uh, try to determine what the actual frequency and sound pattern is on that uh, some of them do correlate very closely uh, to different tones and so you have tones that are represented uh, in these uh, in these bass relief and uh, images, on the carvings on the walls in these temples and this is a very 
very same kind of thing that we see in some of the Gothic uh, temples, uh, or rather the Gothic uh, cathedrals in um, in Europe. Uh, so we're seeing these uh, same imagery uh, throughout uh, a variety of cultures over, uh, again, a period of time, if you go with the, uh, the given timeline, which I don't. Uh, so again, it's, it's a fascinating study uh, when you get into um, geometry and uh, the nature of uh, of what they call you know sacred geometry, and you go all the way back to the uh, platonic solids. It's a it's a fascinating study. Well, you you brought up an interesting thing there that also relates to when I was trying to get a hold of all the unpublished Buddhist documents, um, and not all of it was Buddhist. Some of it was ancient Indian, but that's when I learned from a a Rinpoche and a Tulku um, in Buddhist traditions, Tibetan Buddhist traditions, the ideas that were held that, that he was willing to share with me about mandalas um, and the idea that there's cymatics in there and these things. That's fascinating to me because the way it was explained to me is many of these things are actually a 2D representation of an entire universe idea. Mm-hmm. And what got me was I had read this text where there was a level of initiation for a student that had to go into meditation and view Atalo Keshavara or whatever the name of that deity is uh, inside a mandala on their own, being told how to do it, and then they had to go tell their teacher what they saw. And the teacher would do things like say how many beads were on the necklace, what color was the you know, and they had to get it all exactly right, or they hadn't passed, and they had to go back and do it again. I started thinking, there's no way to fake this. That's where I got fascinated because there literally is, I mean, it's provably no way to fake this. Um, well, I guess if you knew someone else who passed the test and they told you, but under these circumstances, that's unlikely. But that's why I found very interesting what you just said. Yeah, the, the you know, the um, hardcore, I mean, if you get down to the basics, the, you know, the uh, specific tessellations and, you know, geometry, it was really only supposed to be the triangle, the square, and the regular hexagon. But when you get into polynomials and pentagons and that sort of stuff, then uh, it gets, you can go into really crazy uh, fractals. And um, a lot of the artwork of M.C. Escher uh, is is somewhat based on this, on these ideas and uh, the, the 2D representation of 3D spaces. Uh, and you get into pseudo-Romanian four-space um, uh, geometry, and it gets pretty pretty interesting as you start to get into some of the theoretical geometries, um, you know, getting outside Euclidean geometry. So it's it is pretty pretty fascinating stuff, and and I think that, again, from my study, the ancients knew a great deal more about all these things than, than we do, and it's uh, uh, but not that. Um, that not that it's not available, but it's been specifically hidden. That that's the uh, that's the conclusion. I, I don't want to say conclusion, but that's where I've come to is that uh, most of these things are are hidden and occluded. Uh, they haven't they weren't so much lost as they were either uh, destroyed or, uh, for the most part, uh, I'm sure somebody keeps them, but for the most part, they're they're kept from us because there's wisdom held in these things. I, I agree with you, and I think it's why they destroy all the indigenous cultures. Look what happened to Tibet. We had good relationships. Our president had good relationships with Tibet when China marched in, and we did nothing. Um, but what I was going to say is what you begin to find when you look at all these traditions, it's there's a commonality. At the very base of them, they're holding similar or the same ideas. Mm-hmm. And this is what we see in Hermetics, because there's no denying that everything vibrates. There's no de- denying rhythm or polarity or gender. And so what you find is these are the basis for almost every tradition you can look at. 
that's part of what the Vatican was up to when they were trying to get Jewish Kabbalah, hermetics, and forms of basically black magic into the church without pissing off all the conservative Catholics. They were making the argument that Hermes Trismegistus lived with Moses. Don't ask me which incarnation. Right. Um, and that that was why it was okay to bring it into the Vatican, and it went over like a Led Zeppelin. And I mean like a Led Zeppelin, <laughs> not the band Led Zeppelin. And so that's when they started getting sneaky about it. Um, and it goes all the way up to like when the Medicis come around, then everything goes to hell in a handbasket. But that's why it's fascinating. These things underpin every tradition. There's a commonality because no one can say that there isn't black and white. No one can say there isn't gender. Um, but we act like these are occult things because we weren't taught in school. Right, or, po or polarity <laughs> and that sort of thing. And, and right. uh, I think many of these things have been, um, they've been uh, put into a, uh, a box or put into a, a mindset or epithets laid against them, like the word pagan, uh, right, right? Uh, in ways that, that we, um, you know, they just put uh, opprobrious uh, things on them so that we find them uh, unsavory uh, and think that they're going to be bad and evil. And I mean, from my perspective, there are some things that are bad and, and evil. Yeah, it's called black magic. It's yeah, not polarity and gender. Yeah. Right. Uh, objectively, there are some things that people are working to do evil, uh, but uh, there are other things that are simply knowledge, uh, and it's been held from us, but it was given um, a, a covering of evil so that we would never look there. Uh, and, and those are the things that I find, you know, um, uh, difficult to swallow. Um, I, I did see, just kind of back up here in, in the chat, I try to keep keep my eye, kind of one eye on that, and it <clears throat> makes me go blind. But uh, the question about uh, whether uh, whether we had any thoughts on uh, the locations of pyramids and whether that uh, was related to ley lines or that sort of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Not only the the, the pyramids, but um, it, it does appear that the, yeah, the Schumann residence, uh, if you want to look at that, um, and the, uh, the the ley lines. So so all of the major uh, monolithic structures, uh, including uh, the the uh, Moai on Easter Island, um, all of them appear to be at uh, energetic places across the the, the earth and. In fact, um, uh, not to open up this can of worms too too big, but uh, if you do look at um, at a uh, azimuthal equidistant map as as opposed to a global projection, uh, you find a very interesting. It basically looks like the like the uh, flower of life mandala. Uh, if you put the ley lines on onto an azimuthal equidistant map, so I find that that pretty fascinating as well. So. We, we should we should address this real quick because everybody thinks we're talking about evil things and it's not what's actually happened mm. is these are factual things in our world even though we've been told ley lines are hocus pocus and magic and all these things but what happened is people who are into dark arts took them over and used them for bad purposes but it was not always that way as a matter of fact where alexander graham bell stood on jekyll island which you've all heard the story that plays a role in the bringing of the central bank and all this other stuff. These first phone calls, there are claims that Jekyll Island was part of that, and there are claims that they did it because it was on ley lines. But these are black magic, sex magic people that were over there giving each other blowjobs, pardon my rudeness, but that's the level of human being that got a hold of all these ideas, and that's well, why we that's why we think of these things as dark, but they're really not. It's our birthright to understand the energies in this world.
Well, they and, did. They st- they stole it, and I, I don't even think the the principles of uh, uh, magic, if you will, um, from for me, the idea that the the universe bends itself to your will um, by the way it was created, and so it's meant to manifest your will. Um, that is the basics of, of to me of magic. Is that wrong? I think the creator put it that way. Um, but but what's happened from my perspective is that uh, those who have um, negative intentions have taken that power for themselves, uh, and, and then so you see the result. So if you were to say, uh, you know, are hammers bad? Well, if everyone you saw had a hammer was beating somebody else over the head with it, you'd go, yeah, that's a terrible thing that hammers are, uh, you know, to beat people. They, they're murder tools. Well, not really. You can build a house with a hammer. All right. I was going to use the the, the uh, metaphor of a gun, but that has uh, negative connotations these days. But it's it, basically these are tools and a very powerful tool. Uh, but we're told not only that these things are a hocus and and, and um, poppycock and, and not real, um, but that people People who investigated are out of their mind, uh, and uh, or evil, one or both, and and to to a certain degree, certainly many people who practice these things are um, evil, or they open themselves up to it because uh, they're easily influenced by uh, powers that, um, from my perspective, that, that there are uh, uh, interdimensional beings that um, that are malevolent uh, who, who are willing to. Uh, get involved and and uh, show you how to do it, uh, but but they have you know what they want too. Uh, so so is there is there bad stuff out there? From my perspective, sure there is. Is is everything that's uh, unseen bad? Absolutely not. Again, these are but, my views. It's, you know, take yeah, it, take but it, you, leave it. Here, here's the thing, though. It, it's kind of so evil genius in its delivery because what in essence was done was they used our own prejudices against us so that we decided to make ourselves stupid. That's basically, if you break it down logically, what happened. Isn't they that misused, what... Yeah, and that's exactly what's going on with the, right with the now. corona nonsense. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're using our, our best intentions of, yes, right. against us. Yes, The double reverse, the evil kind yep. of dishonest... The dishonest thing that you can't bring into court, if that's even a good way to describe it, because it's plausibly deniable... But this is all of the hermetic principles. The only problem with hermeticism is there is a black side. But you see, that's the whole basis. Yeah, there's a white square and a black square. Yeah, there's a negative pole and a positive pole. Yeah, there's a man and a woman. Um, This is true of all things. And so we need to get off our, our prejudices and yelling black magic and pagan and understand we dumbed ourselves down based on those prejudices wrongly, I think. Yeah, I mean, my my own take is that if you uh, if you get in alignment and, and, and learn to to get in alignment with the the, the creator and the creation, uh, you'll be able to easily identify when something is um, you know bad or or evil or whatever you want to call it that, uh, rather than just labeling things or taking somebody else's word for it. You'll be able to to develop discernment. Um, so that that's what it. You know, uh, that's what it seems like to me is like if, if you once you can develop discernment and, uh, and gather some wisdom, uh, you won't be so easily influenced by uh, what somebody else tells you is, is good or bad. Right. You, you can discover these things for yourself. If it's natural, it's not evil, even if it was used by evil people and ley lines are natural. But Jason, that's- I'm, I'm going to use the head real quick. Um, I'll be right back, guys. All right. Well, we'll move forward to the square and compasses. I'm sure everyone has seen 
a square and compass. It's the symbol. Circling that, uh, the square. Sir, yeah, Squaring the circle. Exactly. Yeah. You know, there was a... Uh, <laughs> I, I this think, is where we need Marty Leeds to jump in, right? Because he's all... <laughs> no, Nobody can run down the squaring of the circle like Marty. That's right. This is funny when I uh, was growing up, and I don't know if it's still there, but there is a... Uh, there's the square in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania, in the area I'm from, and there was a little deli shop kind of thing, and it was called Circles, but the full name was circles on the square. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that was a thing <laughs> 20 odd years ago, <laughs> 25, 30 years ago. So yeah, right. kind of funny. But it is a widely known symbol of, as of, yeah, man, speak, Jason. The square encompasses is a widely known symbol of Freemasonry. I think that goes without saying. Both the square encompasses are architects' tools and are used in Masonic ritual as emblems to teach symbolic lessons. It is often seen with the letter G in the middle, which they say stands for geometry, but I've heard a couple different things. I'm good with geometry, but I don't know if that's the only thing it stands for. And as I, a pal- I would suggest a- not. Right. It could stand for Gnosis. Some people say it stands for God, which I don't think it stands for God. Uh, But anyway, geometry, which is a powerful science that helps unravel the mysteries and wonders of nature. Ancient tradition says the letter G placed at the center of the symbol represents God and geometry. Belief in God is the primary requirement in order to become a Freemason. No atheist can be a member of this oldest, largest, and most widely recognized fraternal organization in the world. The compass, to draw circles, represents the realm of the spiritual eternity. It is symbolic of the defining and limiting principle, and also of infinite boundaries. The angle measures the square, the symbol of Earth, and the realm of the material." The square teaches us to square our actions with all mankind. It is also the emblem of the master of the lodge because it is the proper Masonic emblem of his office. The square also represents fairness, balance, stability, giving a foundation for building upon. Anyone ever heard fair and balance before put in that order? I think I have. <laughs> uh, faux news? Yeah. <laughs> Together, the compass and square represent the convergence of matter and spirit and the convergence of earthly and spiritual responsibilities. As measuring instruments, the tools represent judgment and discernment. Now, the there, of course, were I, I real tools it. used years ago uh, with what was called operative masons, meaning they actually did stuff. They actually built stuff in a physical manner. Uh, now it's all symbolic, and then they're not true masons in the fact that they're bricklayers or builders or architects. However, it would, would be fair to absolutely make sure we mention that their – I don't think supreme being is the right way to say it, but their icon, their, their archetype is known as the great architect. Yeah, that's that's what they say, and I was going to say I, I suggest um, from listening to you reading through that uh, that that those are the um, those are the uh, representations of what the Masons say that those uh, those symbols stand for. Right. Well, I, I yeah. was going to I was going to say, guys, um, people won't like to hear what I'm going to say, but on the tale of all, I already suspected it. I think what's actually gone on is these jokers that went to the dark side of the force. Um, act like there's a great architect, but what they're doing is saying human beings are so ingenious, they're going to become the great architect. Um, I think that's what's actually encoded. I think that's the true dark side, where it literally is throwing out any idea that somehow this creation got here free of human beings or for human beings, and that human beings are going to supplant and be the chief 
architect in this place. I think that's actually what's going on at this point. Well, I think if, if you tie that in, uh, Crow, to, to what um, Wayne has been kind of studying on in the transhumanist agenda, um, and, and kind of tie that together with what, what I see is that that does seem to be the case. Is it certainly that it that appears to be uh, at least their hope, the, the ancient work, uh, the great work, as I've seen them uh, call it, uh, it, is that uh, they can become uh, an apotheosis, that, that through um, whatever means and methodology that they can become the god of this world yes yeah i think it's absolutely that and the sad part is um they're still recognizing that universal law or however you would actually correctly say what i'm trying to communicate here is that every living being has the divine spark and with that divine spark came certain rights now very few of us are aware that when we come into this world we have a right to common law and that's what all this admiralty nonsense telling you you're lost at sea and you don't have any titles and you know that's what it's trying to do is to convince you that, that you're what divorced I'm about from to, it yeah. right that, that it's not true but the truth is is you can stand up any day of the week and say i'm a living man or i'm a living woman and i demand these universal rights and the problem is it's just like corona um jason just posted a clip from uh who is it from jason the clip yeah Russian vids, Russian vids, but there's a couple pieces, which of course shows the fakery that we tell everyone is going on every day in every newscast, but it also shows the universal concern and it says Coro fake and in the word crossover that you're subconscious, it's telling you that it's fake and to them that is enough to have informed someone who's not a stupid monkey that it's fake, but it's not enough to inform someone who's not a stupid monkey. As a matter of fact, it's one of the most sneaky, underhanded ways that even if they think they're special, I'll put them in a room and play the same trick and see if their conscious mind picks up on it. So what we're seeing here is it gets more underhanded, more obscured, more occult as an excuse for the run to try to do the big takeover of all human beings and then become the gods of Olympus, which they are not, which actually whether or not they could ever get control, I don't know, but it's still, I don't want to use the word blasphemy, but I think people know what I'm talking about. Human beings are human beings, and this place was put here somehow, right? Mm -hmm. There's no denying that it was put here somehow, and I don't think you can make the argument that human beings put this place here. And if you can, I'd like to hear that explanation. But th these are the problems with what's going on now. And by the way, my friend just texted me five times, to tell me all the things that closed down in Michigan today, well, all the universities closed. You're seeing desperation. That's what this is. This is desperation on a level. But the scary part is they've succeeded so many times, I don't want to act like they're going to fail this time, you know? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> you know, um, I'm in the Seattle area, and of course they suspended the Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution uh, this week, um, the right to a, a speedy trial. Uh, saying that they, yeah, and to say that the uh, the public welfare uh, supersedes the individual rights, which uh, th th this is a slippery slope. I mean, I know we're getting off topic here, but if we're if we're definitely you know getting into um, the the idea that you, you know if you've seen the uh, the Simpsons episode where Freemasons rule the world. <laughs> Uh, you know, they sneak that way. It's all in intertwined, uh, man. It's it's all intertwined. So, who, who uh, made Steve Gut Gutenberg a star? <laughs> <laughs> the so, NBA uh, just suspended the season. Jason just said in the chat, "Is that true?" 
it, it may be. I mean, I just saw that uh, Tom Hanks tested positive for coronavirus. and I, Oh, uh, no, not Tom. Yeah, I was right? pretty sure he was going to redo Schindler's List and act like the Nazis killed the whole world. I'm right. kind of tired. Yeah, so, uh, you know, when when the actors are involved, you, you know who's who's going along here. So, And, and uh, anything, Tom Hanks or Spielberg, or there's, there's certain key people, if they're in a movie, you know you're looking at nonsense. Yeah, you know you're looking at, at, at pr- programming, absolutely. Uh, so there are, you know, a variety of people who are, uh, you know, definitely, uh, definitely involved in the in the process. So w- with this thing, I, I got to say, I've had numerous people email me this week and asking my thoughts on on this, um, uh, you know, beer virus, um, you know, and, and I, I'm uh, hesitant to give anybody any advice on what they should do. I mean, I have my my own thoughts about it and, and I'm willing to take responsibility for my own behavior, but I'm not going to tell anybody else what to do. It, it's uh I can't take responsibility for for their health uh, and well-being, but certainly but, from. But what you I, could tell them the truth. Don't give them medical advice, but tell them the truth. Well, that's I. That's what I did. I Eat said, oranges. This is well. This is the, the. You know, I say this is what I see. This is the, from from my perspective. I, I mean, I live in one of supposed to be one of the epicenters of this pandemic, uh, and I, and I personally know of no one uh, or it, know of anyone who knows anyone personally uh, who's been affected. Now, I've had a couple of people in the healthcare industry who say that they uh, there was a person supposedly one building over or within the same building. They they hear things, uh, but again, none of it's firsthand. So. Um, at best second or third hand information and and none of which can be confirmed so from my perspective until I see it uh, firsthand and even then if I were to go out and for example I'm not going to but if I were to go out and get tested and they go oh you have coronavirus you, you know how much I'm going to believe that <laughs> well, I, mean, <laughs> you know, I not, mean come on right? I knew so, someone last year who had a cold and believe it or not I knew two people who had the flu Right. Now, I'm not sure how we tell the difference between a cold and a flu or a flu and a corona. Well, I guess I do know the difference there because one of them's made up out of whole cloth. Right. But I did have two experts on recently who would tell you that there has never been any virus associated with any human disease, nor has one been imaged in that way. And I would further say that one of them, combined with the new cutting-edge German medicine, which was blocked from publication, they will tell you that a virus is actually the thing that gets you sick, electromagnetic in nature. Um, So I I I mean, yeah, I'm not playing this game anymore. I won't say the words for the sake of Jason's channel, but (laughs) I think we, I think we need to to call a spade a spade. And it doesn't even. Should we all just start using uh, Pig Latin so we can say what we want to say? I would use um, the term bovine scatology. I have it on good authority that the NBA canceled the season. And Jason, I know you know why I have it on good authority. Yes, I do know why. Thank you. Yeah, you do. And it's a fact, Jack. So the gentleman in the in the thing was not only right, but someone who's never wrong about those things just told us the same thing. Wow. Okay. This is getting serious, man. It, it, all over nothing, too. <laughs> It's a, run, it's a run for the end zone. You got to wonder. To me, it smacks of desperation, but at the same time, 
um, the result of what they've done so far is going to crash the economy to some degree. Yeah, that's, um, that's, that's the it. concern. Is that so? That that's my concern. Is that is not what the um, not what the actual thing itself is because I, again, I don't I don't really buy it. Uh, but but the effects that w- once they get everybody uh, dialed into it, uh, the the uh, what I see so far is that people are fairly willing to let the government do whatever they have to do uh, to contain it, and that to me is the the most unnerving disconcerting thing uh, that, that I can think of is that people are willing to uh, upend and, and give away their freedoms for a little bit of protection from something that they uh, cannot even prove to be true. It's, it's unnerving uh, to me, and I, and I don't I don't scare easy, and I'm not afraid of this, but, but it is unnerving to me uh, how quickly uh, they have created uh, a situation out of nothing. Uh, that that is having serious uh, impact. Um, there are you know numerous restaurants here in Seattle that have closed uh, because no no one's on the streets. It is uh, it, it is pretty pretty unnerving, and people are buying it. You know the the fact that they're going after the sports ball in some way, shape, or form. I wonder if that's like the next step in this pushing of the Overton window because sports ball is a big thing to a lot of people. Well, it's put steam in it. I'll predict right now that what the Olympics gets used for this year is directly related to putting another head of steam in this corona nonsense. Um, I think I just saw Marty, Jason. Where at? Uh, Skype. Oh, does he want to come on? Uh, Hold on. Let me see if that. Oh, I'm sorry. It was. No, it's that old thing we belong to. Sorry. Okay. Well, he had said he was working and uh, wasn't able to, but sends his love because. Marty's awesome. Marty's mind blowers, but and getting back to it, um, you know, the guest that we had on our secret squirrel episode that we had to run for members only on crow777radio.com, this has been in the planning for centuries, um, the, the various steps of this. And it gets to the point where now everyone who's wise enough to understand the nonsense can go back and look at nearly any plague movie or virus movie or sickness movie and you'll see what's going on here it's a tee-up um everybody knows damn well that the nba guy named after japanese beef was the kickoff everybody knows that the last day of the year was right about when it started being put into fruition but my point is this wasn't on a lark this had been planned out for a long time in the same way all the people that still want to argue that we're all going to go out and vote this year and make a difference which is laughable, provably laughable. Um, someone, someone just redid the Illuminati card game, which was around in the 90s, showing that Trump was lined up. How many people <laughs> have seen the Simpsons cartoon that proves he was lined up? How many people know that he's related to Hillary, by the way? Same royal Scottish bloodline. So it's, it's just the whole thing is rigged. And at some point, we're either going to get what we deserve because we truly are stupid, scared monkeys, or we're going to stand up and say, I've got the divine spark and you don't treat me that way anymore. Um, those are really the options here because revolution's not going to do it. Um, there's really nothing that's going to do it besides a change of mind from my point of view. And by the way, the reach on this is scary when they can pick up phones and shut every university. When the richest people in the world own the ball players. So they just pick up the phone and say, hey, John Bon Jovi, your team's not playing this season. Or however the hell that works. The reach of it is is staggering how much they own and control now. No way. I'll play Dead or Alive. Get it? There you go. Ha! By the way, we're uh, killing it tonight, man. Thanks to everybody who's here. We're over 300 on the YouTubes. 
And uh, right around 200, oh, a little over 200 now on DLive. So that's the biggest turnout that's we've awesome. ever had. Yeah, th- thanks for being here, guys. Uh, we want to keep building these bigger and bigger, obviously, because we want to keep giving you, as our friend Owen would say, lots of gravy. We we should sing a song, man. Let's sing like, ma 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 corona <laughs> By the way, Wayne McCroy chimed in. He's in the chat room there. Uh, he said, look for something bigger coming up because of the Ides of March, which is the 15th. I wouldn't doubt it. Somebody had posted um, in the um, YouTube chat that they uh, weren't able to confirm the Sixth uh, Amendment being. Uh, okay. Oh, no, there's um, articles out there now. You just have to take yeah, a look. It, there's yeah, there's not. Not. I, the mainstream is on that now. I they just, did it underground, and I saw the document. What's it called, Baldini? The document that that solidifies these actions. Yeah, I just pulled it up. It's the um, U.S. District Order, um, yeah. General Order One Twenty, um, and I, I have it in front of me right now. I was trying to paste it into the uh, chat, but it wouldn't let me because it's got a, a link on it. Uh, but it is. Um, it was done um, on three six. So. Uh, that's when they, that's when it came out. So general order number one dash twenty, and uh, basically it, it it does suspend uh, the Sixth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. So you can you can find that it's in the state of Washington. All right, we are. Well, we've really cranked uh, cranked out along here. We're already at uh, after nine. All right, let's move on to the lambskin apron. I'm sure everyone's seen this as well. The lambskin apron is the most iconic symbolic emblem of Freemasonry. It is the unique badge of a mason, and it is, it is considered a tool. It's said to be more honorable than the Roman eagle or the golden fleece. The Masonic apron is literally the badge of a mason carried with him into the next existence. Celebrated in poetry and prose, the lambskin apron is the initial gift of Freemasonry to a candidate, and at the end of life's pilgrimage, it is placed on his mortal remains and buried with his body in the grave. This badge symbolizes regeneration or a new life. It refers to the pure heart. It goes back to the days of working masonry when masons wore a long apron of thick leather to protect them against splinter of rock. Uh, uh, excuse me, splinters of rock and blows from their tools. As a piece of protective clothing, the apron symbolizes hard work, and at the same time, it helps create and maintain the strong bond of belonging to the same fraternity. It is said that the apron refers to the pure heart, the gloves, to the clean hands, and both are associated with purification, which, in Freemasonry, was always symbolized by the ablution, which preceded the ancient initiations into the sacred mysteries. By the way, I took all this right from Freemason sites. I went to several of them and just kind of crisscrossed and wanted to see if they generally said the same thing, which they do, so they must be coming from a central source. Well, let me ask a simple question here. If you're involved in what we would call black magic, or if you were involved in what we call sexual magic, can you claim to have a pure heart, clean hands, and have anything to do with purification? I'm just absolutely, asking. absolutely <laughs> not. And and what's more, this uh, this apron covers the genitals. So we'll put a put a that fine. Uh, well, a, well, not a, for the upper reaches, point because I'm pretty sure they have to remove that apron to do all their little magic. Right. <clears throat> so. There's that. All right. Next, we have the gloves. Masonic gloves symbolize the works of the hands. (laughs) The hidden hand, 
Well, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Yep. The gloves given to the candidate for himself are intended the to golden teach him fleece. <laughs> that the acts of a mason should be as pure and spotless as the gloves now given to him. In Europe, <laughs> they are given to candidates at the same time when they are given the apron. The same custom formerly prevailed in England. Now, in Europe and America, the gloves are not involved in ceremony, but they are worn as part of Masonic clothing. The tradition of the gloves is very old. In the Middle Ages, gloves were worn by operative masons, meaning ones who actually did something uh, to make things, uh, compared to now where it's symbolic or what they call speculative Freemasons. Uh, they were worn by operative masons to protect their hands from the effects of their work. Edouard de Duran, who lived from 1836 until 1902, a French stained glass, glass artist and art writer, wrote, In the year 1331, the Chatelain of Viennes in Demois bought a considerable quantity of gloves to be given to the workmen in order, as it is said, to shield their hands from the stone and lime. In October 1383, as he learns from a document of that period, three dozen pairs of gloves were bought and distributed to the Masons when they commenced the buildings at the Chartreuse of Dijon. In Masonry, their use was intended to, like the apron, denote the necessity of purity of life. And this is why we wear gloves whenever we use Dijon mustard to this day. It symbolizes the sandwich. Yes. Do you have any gray poupon? Exactly. I mean, it's poppy. Uh, uh, it's poppycock on top of poppycock. If if you're gonna make all these bold claims for the good of all living beings, purity, um, all this nonsense, then you have to live up to it. And you can't take all your masons that just got out of the Marine Corps and use them as window dressing because they probably do fit these ideas. A lot of them. That's not good enough. Um, those people are doing what they should do, but up above at those higher echelons, you can't claim any of this. You can't claim a damn part of it, and it's been documented in so many ways, and that's why it's a farce. And to, to really drive it home, the simple idea that you can claim purity and chastity and all these lofty words you want to throw around while you're lying to all the rank-and-file members of your fraternity makes it untenable in the first place even if you weren't involved in dark things i'm just saying somebody asked if uh let's see i kind of lost it in the chat there but someone asked if porn is black magic well sure i mean it, it <laughs> it's what, invocation. What magic well what magic is it's an intention by someone it's not you know look oh how did that card disappear from your hand um that's sleight of hand magic is intent and so you could call anything any kind of magic if you can show the intent behind it. Most people would say, well, I have a caring for all human beings. That would be white ma magic. But if you say, I want to take advantage of all human beings, then you've gone the other way. And why is it that you can't run an alcohol thing on Twitter, but you can post porn links all day? Why is it that YouTube makes me label my content not suitable for children, and yet they don't block all the porn everywhere? And actually, every ISP everywhere is making a ton of money from serving all that porn. Um, of course, that's a form of black magic. It's doing the same thing that the drug culture of the 60s did. It's further demoralizing. You know, It's doing what we're talking about here. These guys are talking about chastity and purity. Well, it's removing that from our society. And it's, it's again, the inversion, the upside down, um, the black and the white, as above, so below. They're, they're simply flipping the script on its head. Uh, yeah. so, so whenever they're telling you one thing, um, they're 
doing something else. And uh, yeah, I, I saw uh, our, our friend Jillian, uh, see, see, the, the, the fine Scots. Hello, lads. wee lass. We love Jillian. She's great. Yeah, we do. She's awesome. <laughs> Although, I'd be great. <laughs> big gosh and big gora. All righty then. Uh, so, yeah, anyway, um, yeah, so take, again, I, I would say all these descriptions of, of these symbols from the Masons themselves, take it with a huge grain of salt. Uh, this is um, what they're telling you. You can almost flip it on its head uh, and get uh, a better understanding of, of the meaning from it. Yeah, most, most of what goes on in our world was not taught you in school because it comes down to intent. Um, and even forms of law had this in mind where if someone got killed or hurt, but it was completely by accident and the intent was actually to try to help them, then no crime had been committed. It's called the spirit of the law in some cases. Um, and what we find now, um, look, at, look at the corona thing. So let's ask a simple question. Is it in the intent of all this nonsense to keep people protected or is the intent something else? And if you can answer it's something else, it goes back to the biblical scripture. You can know a tree by its fruit. And what we see coming from this nonsense is poison fruit. It's not honest. It's not legitimate. It's not provable. And it's fearful. Um, and this is so much of our world is the intent. And if you can nail down intent, you've got to. It's like all the people that see Marty Leeds and say, oh, my God, he's got a 33. He's a mason. It's like diaper wearing babies guessing it's something they're afraid of. Until you can show intent, you ain't got anything to point at. Everything with magic is intent. Let's just uh, put that out there. Anything you do in the entire universe is all about intent. Uh, you can have any symbol you want, any number you want, any color you want. It doesn't freaking matter, really. What really matters is what are you putting behind it? I always looked yep. at it kind of as a computer program. You're writing a computer program with your will, your mind, and and your consciousness and throwing it out into the universe and pushing it out there. And the more energy and will you could put behind it, that is the intent. What is it you are trying to accomplish? The symbols and all that just help you get there. Yeah. And that's, and that's what um, sex magic is about is, is the idea. If you read any of Aleister Crowley or anybody from the OTO or, or that sort of thing. And their, their views on sex magic it is basically uh, wrapping up uh, the power of the spiritual act of sex and pushing intention out into the universe with will. Um, and, and, you know, that <clears throat> it's certain that is, uh, from my perspective, uh, sex magic used that way is not for good. Well, let's let's be honest about it, too. You're talking about one of the most powerful energy releases any human being could be involved with. And that energy release is supposed to be for making offspring. Create life, yeah. So so that's the other thing. You know, it's, it's, it's the same, you can use the same argument on all this black sex magic-y kind of stuff that Jason and I did for usury. You can go out in the world and you see a deer, and a deer has a baby deer. And you say to yourself, self... That's nature, that's beautiful, that's right, there's nothing wrong with that. Then you see a gold coin, and the next day you see it, and it had two baby gold coins. And then you instantly say to yourself, self, self, that's not nature, that's a perversion of nature. Gold coins do not have baby gold coins, that's usury, that is indefensible. And so if you use these benchmarks, it's not hard to demonstrate um, what's going on here. But the sex magic is a bit scary because of the energy level and the malintent that's being used. And not only that, some of the people who get used in it uh, are pretty much soiled in a way they're not walking away from. Yeah, that's <clears throat> one that I, I hate to even touch on because it is <clears throat> it hurts my spirit 
because they they use uh, the most innocent among us uh, for the the most evil of purposes, and that's a an entirely different topic. But yeah, that's it, yeah, it's it's indefensible, and and this is what happens in a world of monopoly, where enough money makes you above it all, where you you're not answerable to anybody. Um, that's kind of where we are now, um, because anyone in their right mind. Uh, right now would look and say, well, wait a minute, even if everyone really did get sick and only 0.003 are dying and yet I risk a 1% death rate walking out my door, there's no way you can validate everything that's being done in the face of that common sense. And so I, I don't know what to say about everything that's going on in the world now, but I want to say it's complete fear and it's a desperate push. But I've thought that so many times, and I've seen them get away with it because everyone's so kind of lackadaisical these days. It just doesn't. It looks like uh, it looks like that crow. I just, I read it different. It seems to me as as though they've just lost. Uh, there, there's no pre- yeah. There's no pre. There's not. A, there's not even a pretense anymore. I know. They, they just not. feel like they, they can do whatever they want, and who's going to stop them? And it seems like they may be right. They they have. Um, they can do it with impunity, and it's a poke in the eye, and it it irritates me. I'll say that. Well, it's, if if we have come to the point where they can do it with impunity, it's more than a poke in the eye, and unfortunately, we're going to get what we deserve. Um, because if you can't stand up and walk on two legs like a human being, maybe you don't get to act like one. I don't know. I don't know either. But by the way, for folks that uh, aren't aware, because I've I just got sent yet another picture. Um, Mexican beer contagion is actually the thing for the common cold. I've heard of these things a billion years ago. <laughs> That's what's ironic about it. They're not something new. So when you see cans of Lysol and things like that that say Mexican beer contagion on them, and you're like, oh, my God, it's not pre-programming. They're common. It's, it's ridiculous, just like all this nonsense. Yeah, it's it's a common you know it's a it's a name because of the the shape of uh, supposedly the the shape of the um, uh, uh, part of the uh, body that it, I, I, you know, I'm so tired but I haven't had so uh, much sleep this week but um, <laughs> yeah it, it 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 grabs on uh, it's it, Corona for the crown uh, because it uh, because of the shape and the way that it grabs on uh, to the uh, protein so. I'll stop there before I make it any different. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> All right, let's move on to Solomon's Temple. It represents the temple of humanity, knowledge, and improvement, the symbol of the goal and, at the same time, the Freemasonry Union itself. It's the path to the divine. In the tradition of Freemasonry, this temple is a link in early Christian Kabbalah and Hermetic thought. Many believe that philosophy becomes directly linked to the past, present, and future of Freemasonry and to King Solomon's temple. Temple worship is considered progress towards spiritual elevation. There is a difference between a material and spiritual temple that should be constructed in our heart and considered the dwelling place of God. So, the whole Freemason board that I'm sure you've seen pictures of, that's supposed to be a representation of Solomon's Temple, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, It's a lot for me to explain without having the visuals, and I didn't want to be jumping through a million pictures and things like that. But look it up, and uh, I think you'll know what I'm talking about. You'll see the Twin Pillars, and I I didn't even want to go into all that because I'd just be spouting Freemason words at you, but... uh, 
Joaquin and Boaz are what the two pillars are called and all that. But that's what all this stuff is. Yeah, but look at look at the wording right there. The idea of the once and future king, the idea that there are cycles, <laughs> the idea of tracking the sun because you know there's cycles. And this brings me back to what Wayne and I, um, you know, I realized right off that Ovid's metamorphosis was going to be key and all this corona nonsense. Um, and independently of anything I had done or said to Wayne, he came to the same conclusion, which further bolstered. Uh, my intention, knowing I was in the right path. By the time Wayne and I had talked, I'd already read the first eight books out of 15. Um, and so as we began to go through it, we both had the same kind of assumption. What if um, the idea that history repeats itself is not just an idea, but it's literal? What if that's a literal idea? And what if people trying to take over populations are trying to control the repetition what if something like Ovid's more metamorphosis is actually the play that's being encoded and replayed over and over and over? Um, these are the ideas we begin to think about. And as you hit this bullet point, just the language, the underlying non-obvious language is talking about cyclical living, which is hidden in a lot of Masonic stuff. Hidden a in plain view like all this is. Gentlemen, carry yeah. this for me for two seconds. I got to go grab something. I'll be right back. Sure. And by the way, thank you, Wayne McCrory. The, the shape of the glycoprotein layer, that's what I, what I, what I was looking for. Yes, I, again, <laughs> I appreciate you, Wayne. E- even not here, you're, you're helping me out, so I appreciate that. Uh, but yeah, so the uh, Joaquin and Boaz, the, the two pillars, we see this over and over and over again uh, in the two towers, the twin towers. Uh, these, uh, these ideas are represented over and over uh, again, uh, the same uh, kind of thing with duality. Uh, we see the, the same with the as above, so below. They, they break these things out over and over. And, and uh, Crow, I, I, I would tend to agree with you that the, uh, the cyclical nature uh, is not, uh, you know, that this saying is that those who do not study history are doomed to repeat it. Uh, and I, I am of the opinion that, again, it is, a, it is more of a scripted play that's being um, brought uh, to bear upon us. Uh, it does not happen organically or naturally. It is, it is uh, brought upon us. I, I have come to the point where I take the words that all the world's a stage and we but players on the stage is literal at this point. And I will be working, and I know Wayne's working. We're going to do an Ovid, Ovid kind of show because we began to realize, um, as I did my work, and I realized that the oldest myths were encoding everything that mattered. And I don't know if it's because they were just the first people to do it or they're viewed as heroic, whatever it is, probably because they're the first people to tell all the stories that could be told. You know, by the time Shakespeare came around, they were claiming there was only 12 storylines. Some people say there's 30. Some people say there's two. My point is there's apparently a limited number of storylines from the point of view of people who pay attention to these things. So when I realized that it was being driven from the myths, I started proving it. We finally did an episode years after I'd been looking at this that showed how CNN came to power using the truth down the well, the Veritas myth, mm-hmm. um, and they used the archetype verbatim. So what we're supposing here is if you look at the myths and how they've been delivered, the ones that are so important end up being the Iliad and the Odyssey, um, the Ennead, and then the one that kind of starts at the beginning of the world in myth terms and coming up to the supposed emperor Augustus, who was supposed to take over the entire world, uh, that's metamorphosis. And even the name of it screams um, that you should be looking at it. But when they came out with COVID, uh, me and Wayne saw the same thing instantly. See Ovid, books one through nine, 
<laughs> so that's right where we went. And yeah, so and even we'll, in, in then the the alternate name novel coronavirus yeah. is uh, pretty telling in and of itself. Right, right. And then you start looking up these words um, because sometimes it's the third definition that really pokes you in the eye. Um, it's like as they are announcing the cases here. Oh, there's two presumptive cases, and I said what. I've never heard that before in my life. So I go look up the word presumptive and I just start cracking up. It's like a legal loophole. Mm -hmm. It's like saying I spoke English to you, but you're so stupid. You don't know English. Um, It's like that. Um, But there is absolutely something uh, to the whole Ovid thing and we'll, we'll be working on it. Uh, And I have a feeling it's like every other thing we do. Once we study it carefully, um, the pieces fall in place. Yeah, I, I'm I'm getting to the place where I, I mean, this is kind of just where I see it right now. And again, don't don't hold me to it, but the the way I see it now, Crow, is that um, you know we we look at these things and we see these uh, these sort of meta cycles or the uh, the hero's journey, and we see these cast and types uh, that get played out over and over. Uh, and I, I'm of the opinion now, at least for for this period of time, that. Uh, that these are based on an original story and and likely the truth. And then uh, it has been overlaid numerous times in a number of different ways to um, to bury or to occlude the truth. So it makes it harder and harder to recognize what the truth actually is. So there's, let's say, 13 retellings of the same story. Uh, one of them is closer uh, to, to the truth, and, and the rest of them are to sort of... Uh, Provi- provide a um, you know a, a little bit of confusion there in much the same way that we see the, this current news story the the Mexican beer virus right is that we're getting two messages from the media one is oh my god it's the end of the world the other is don't worry uh, so so there it, it creates confusion and this confusion and fear uh, makes people indecisive and unable to make decisions and so they're more than willing uh, to take the path of least resistance and let somebody else make those decisions for them and and. And this has a predictable outcome. This is the Hegelian dialectic uh, problem, reaction, solution. Uh, so uh, th- this kind of my, my view currently is that uh, these, these are um, things that uh, have been well scripted out uh, based on uh, an original truth that has been in many ways corrupted in, in, a, in a sense of trying to, to confuse us so that we can't see it when it's right in front of us. Yeah, I don't mean to change the subject, but Jason, this... Point five episode is just burning up the server. Really? Well, that's good. That's, you know, we didn't yeah, really talk helpful. about that at the beginning. We should probably take a moment to do so, uh, even if we go a little long here to get through the rest of the points. You want to describe what we did today uh, and why we released the full episode early this week, which was on Monday. But uh, if you want to you wanna go into that, let's go ahead and talk about that for a moment. Yeah, because we've kind of reached a point where I think a lot of people... Um, have fallen victim to the idea that didn't used to be so much in the 60s and the 70s. In the 60s and 70s, you could be in a group of people, 50 people, all doing the wrong thing, and one person in there realizing it was wrong would not have been afraid every single time to say, I don't care if there's 50 people here. This is not right. But now up in this time we are, it's less. If there's 20 people in the room, most people will not be the dissenting voice, even if they know they're right. And so that is why we released the episode early, because we began to hear things within our circle of contacts that were beyond the pale. And by the time I had discovered the Sixth Amendment had been abridged or suspended and then didn't even have time to 
vet it and heard Baldini had vetted it, that was enough for me. So that's why we released it early. Um, The response to that episode, um, 203, was overwhelming. So we quickly followed up with insider contacts that we have but don't ever use for obvious reasons. And so uh, the result of that was to post only for membership only to partially to protect the identity, but partially because, you know, social media won't let any of that stuff run. They'll give you a hard time or remove the video or all the things they do give you a strike. Um, But to both of those episodes, there has been so much traffic on the server and more than I've ever seen. And that's all around informing people the nonsensical nature of the fear that's driving the world right now. Uh, Crow, before we jump back into this, did you see the question that someone just wanted to ask you about? I did, and I don't even have that window up. Um, okay, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, Chris YT wants to know about the ladder and the secret sun, the sun, the moon, and then a third star or whatever is behind it in the Masonic tracing boards. And that's what I was talking about with the thing that looks like the uh, the, the Solomon's Temple. Well, here's the truth. If we were initiated, we could tell you. Well, we we couldn't because we're not supposed to tell you. But this is one of the things that drove us from the Falconelli research. Um, I began to remember all those tracing boards, and there's tons of them. There's tons of different ones that show a hole in the clouds with a light source coming down to the sun of our world, lenses back bouncing light back and forth down to the stage or the sun and moon but always there's like this idea maybe from the masonic view of the great architect or god but nonetheless the falconelli research put it together for me when i realized all at once this is source the idea here is the sun would be either a reflection or it it is the result of the source of the main light or whatever you would call it Um, And then that's when I began to do the research. We put it out. And as fate would have it, I called, should I name him, Jason? I guess probably not. No, no, no. Probably not. So I called a friend who's been trained all over the world. And I said, I think there's two suns or either that there's a reflection or a source sun. And he said, yeah, I know that crow. I was taught that 30 years ago. Yeah, I'm funny. I, here's a, another serendipity or synchronicity thing that uh, I, I found that looking in completely different old ancient sources, uh, the idea uh, that there is a, a true sun and our sun is a reflection of the original light. So uh, that's uh, the second sun or, or uh, however you want to look at that. Uh, but that what we see here is a, uh, a reflection uh, of the original that's the original yeah which is what we see encoded about the moon everywhere the idea of illusion um and mirage is always the sun reflected on a lake and that goes back to antiquity that that symbolism i'm really hoping i can catch some of that stuff down at the uh, pier where i've been trying to film the superdome that would be awesome if i can get that and actually start figuring out a regular way to get it so i could take that and show other folks too All right. Hopefully that answered the question for you. Did I lose you guys? No, we're here. Okay, cool. We're just really quiet. That's not normal for you guys. (laughs) I left my crowbar in the other room so I can get a word in. We were t- uh, talking before the show how b- both of us were just wiped out from the last couple of weeks is just going at it hard and heavy and all the things that have been uh, uh, coming up and we're trying to, you know, spin all the plates. There's a lot going on right now and, and keeping a, a look at it is uh, in addition to, to keeping bread on the table. It's uh, it's I don't want to say overwhelming, but there's a, there's a lot going on. 
Yeah. Well, you, you know, Crow, when we have to stir gravy this thick, you know, that ladle gets hard to, to, to turn. <laughs> <laughs> don't don't be poking people in the eye. Don't poke the bear. I like the bear. He's a nice guy. <laughs> He's got balls the size of a bear. I'll give him that. He does not back down from That's what right. he feels is correct. And there's something to be said for that. <laughs> because what I just said about most people in a room with 100 people, he would not back down if there were 200 people. And you got to admire that. All right. Let's move on to the all-seeing eye or the eye of providence. And I think it's safe to say just about everyone will have seen this on the back of a $1 Federal Reserve note. And what's great about this is that according to uh, high-level Masons, uh, th- this symbol this symbol has uh, nothing to do with uh, Mason history. <laughs> uh, sure. It's funny, sure. isn't it? I mean, Benjamin Franklin funny, only it? made it in the 1700s, but hey, nothing right. whatsoever. It is right. a powerful symbol that has been used for hundreds of years, if not longer. Okay, well, this is right out of their own mouths. I took this from a exactly. free website. No, so I, I know. I must know. Be That's what I'm saying is that they have conflicting uh, stories on everything. They do. They totally why, do. So, which I, is why you can't trust it at face value. That, that's my point, is if you uh, listen to uh, some of the high-level Masons talk, they'll say um, this has nothing to do with it at, at all. Uh, not not, not involved we? in uh, point number nine, all-seeing eye. Some scholars trace its history to ancient Egypt and the Eye of Horus. The symbol has been an important Christian symbol that can often be found on stained glass windows of churches. In the United States, the Eye of Providence is often associated with conspiracies, the Illuminati, the Vatican, and the Freemasons, who started publicly using the symbol in 1797. Well, that was a few years back. The all-seeing Eye of God and is a reminder that humanity's thoughts and deeds are always observed by God, who is referred to in Masonry as the great architect of the universe. For all of you Matrix fans out there, usually the Masonic Eye of Providence has a semi-circular glory below it, meaning the, the rays of the sun, and is sometimes enclosed by a triangle. That it is. And, and goes you know, back super super far I mean, there's oh, yeah. there's this this symbol has gone back as far as as, as i can tell uh, you, you think there's going to be a relation to the story of argus you know the thousand eyed argus that saw everything that got murdered um so someone murdered argus um but i've always felt like there's a link between the single eye and the murdering of the thousand or the hundred eye whatever it was thousand eyed argus um, from back in the old myth, but I haven't taken the time. You ever looked at that, Baldini? Yeah, briefly. It's uh, it, it comes up uh, in different places, and in fact, uh, it was used in uh, American Gods. It made an appearance there as well. That uh, Netflix, was it Netflix show? Oh, oh, oh. Um, I was actually following some of that because I realized that it was truthfully or maybe not 100% truthfully, but allegorically demonstrating that the old gods were being killed off and the new god, basically technology, um, was taken front and center. But I wasn't aware Argus played a role in there. Yes. They, did, they, he get, he, did he get killed? He did indeed. There it is. Yes. And, and so then, so that begins to further bolster my contention because when Argus gets killed, the idea is a living being with many, many eyes, the fact that you can kill him, and then technology, the kind of single eye. Yeah, and and so the uh, the the all seeing eye is now related to the the many eyes of of Argus uh, with uh, 
you know, they related it in that show to, uh, you know, all the satellites, quote unquote, or, or uh, all the uh, security cameras. And, and but ultimately, uh, the all seeing eye has taken over uh, from Argus. So they uh, it's been transmuted uh, from the, the thousand eyes of Argus to the all seeing eye. Well, there were a few things there. Let's hope that Odin wins, first of all, which hmm. he's probably not. Hmm. Um, but they rightly point out um, the, the goddessness of the old idea of media, where that was all pulled from, too. Crow, a few folks were talking about the Great Conjunction in D-Live. Uh, do you want to speak about that for a moment? Conjunction, junction, what's your function? Hooking um, up cars, yeah. baby! It's a big deal. Um, the sky clock runs our world, and people have been taught that it's hocus and pocus and dominocus, and it's none of those things. Uh, it's been made fun of. It's been made to look silly. But the fact is, is the people who always knew everything are gearing everything to the sky clock. It's exactly why we got this stupid virus when we did, because the sky clock told them this is when people get itchy throats. Um, but to get back to the point, this isn't just any old event. This conjunction with Jupiter and Saturn happens every 20 years. It's been recognized as a once-a-generation event. But here's the kicker. Last bunch of times we've had it, it's just been on a day. This time it's fallen on the day the sun dies, the winter solstice, the low point of the sun before it is reborn. Oh, that has meaning. Encodes, yeah, which also <laughs> encodes 33. Oh, okay. um, but the last time we had this conjunction was immediately before we stepped into 2001, if you follow my drift. Wow. So last time we saw this, the entire world changed, and to this day we are living with those changes. This time around, it's happened on maybe the most, you could make the argument that it's going to happen on the most special day of the year uh, in terms of, like if I asked you what is the biggest holiday in the year, I imagine most people would say Christmas. Well, guess where Christmas is? It's on this day. Well, within a day or two of this day but it's at the winter solstice and that's why christmas is there by the way it's not anyone's celebration of anything other than that they can call it what they want they can fake like it's about something else but it's about materialism in these days and it's about celebrating the death of the sun and so this year if for no other reason and i can give you oodles of other reasons that one event alone would be standing as a milestone that this is going to be a big year. But there are so many other reasons. David Weiss had asked me earlier today about that. So the last time this conjunction happened, it was right before the events, that day in the uh, 10th month? No, if I remember, I would have Nathan, to look it up. It, it preceded it by a little bit. It doesn't matter, you see, because it's it's not one of these things where you you got to be on the day because it's a generational. So what it's basically saying is we're going to randomly mark a generation. Well, today, most people tell you generation's 25 years. So this occurs every 20. So the idea back in the day was, look, this young man's been alive. He's just turned 20. He's going to get to see his great conjunction. By the way, he won't see it again until he's 40. If he's lucky, he'll see it one more time in his life. If he's super duper lucky, which is almost unheard of, he'll see it a fourth time in his life. So that puts it in context how the people would have viewed this as generational. So what I'm saying is when this event happens, it's like a milestone saying big change right here. Um, not quite like an age change or something like that, but I, I could actually look it up. 
real quick if you want. I'll, I'll do it. Yeah, Hold go on. ahead. Let's just be sure about this. Uh, Let me look. The thing I love about the these great... live streams, I like make I like keeping them casual so that we can just talk about what we want to talk about, as long as we have a general theme going that we're not just uh, staring at each other. I think it might have actually <laughs> been in 1999, but let me look. Yeah, probably the day uh, the Matrix was released or something. Okay, here we go. Well, hold that thought, Crow. You you look that up. I'll do the next point, just so we're not uh, <coughs> here staring at each other funny. We're going to talk about ashlars, A-S-H-L-A-R. And these are – there's two different ashlars used symbolically, ashlar rough and ashlar perfect. And they are not just two pieces of stone, but a clear representation of what we, and what we were and what we hope to be, meaning one is rough hewn and one is perfectly chipped and formed and shaped and whatever you want to call what a Freemason does. They symbolize man's moral and spiritual life. Ashlars are a representation of the very beautiful symbol. The rough and perfect ashlars bear the same relation to each other as ignorance does to knowledge, death to life, and light to darkness. Ashlar rough, rude, natural stone, which masonically is a symbol of men's natural state of ignorance and a symbol of the profane world. Now there is an interesting thing, ladies and gentlemen, because that's what I've heard they call us. If you are not a member of the Brotherhood, they call us the profane. Ashlar Perfect is already prepared, hued, squared, polished, and smooth, and as such, it's used in the building. It's a symbol of the state of perfection attained by means of education. In essence, in Freemasonry, it means that by means of education and the acquirement of knowledge, a man who begins as rough ashlar or an imperfect stone improves the state of his spiritual and moral being and becomes like perfect ashlar and makes the final journey to the grand lodge above as above so below he may leave behind a reputation as a wise counselor a pillar of strength and stability a perfect ashlar on which younger masons may test the correctness and value of their own contribution to the masonic order maybe like albert pike who knows uh What's interesting about these ashlars are uh, the, what they call the cornerstone uh, is always supposed to be aligned to the east and with the sun and all that fun stuff. But um, anyway, Crow, did you find what you're looking for or shall I ramble yeah, on? Yeah, um, actually, I was a bit surprised. Like, I thought it was a, a June, so I had to, to triple check. It was actually on the last day of May in 2000. Um, but now that I'm looking, it's interesting because the angular distance from, uh, between the two was one degree eleven seconds, so that's one one one, um, and it was sixteen minutes nine degrees west. Um, they're saying it's in Taurus, but I'm pretty sure that's nonsense because they're changing the sky we see. I would have to go look it up to see what it was actually in. Um, but as we come up to two thousand here, um, the angular distance one degree nine seconds, and so. That's the thing here. They're six seconds apart um, on this one. It's almost an occultation. But my point here is on the last day of May uh, in the year 2000, uh, the generational milestone marker went down, which can be seen as big changes, which followed very shortly thereafter, just a year, within a year of this event. All right. I hope that helps people who were interested in that. And we did I feel, discuss I, this. I, I pulled that from Wikipedia. I feel like some of it's not right. I know it didn't happen in Taurus because I'm pretty sure they're using tropical ideas where they move the actual sky we yeah. see. But 
Well, we could always hit up Athen too. And I was going to say, we, you guys did bring that up in the episode we just did with Athen. Uh, yeah, I uh, thought it was June. Hmm? Yeah, I was thinking it was June. Well, it's something we can always follow up on too. It's not like we don't do tons of these things. <laughs> next, we you have guys, you guys are labor. out there all the time now. You know, I feel like all I'm doing is preparing for the next show and then preparing for the next show and then preparing for the next show. <laughs> but that's all right. I'm ho- keeping hopefully, up, man. Hopefully these things are, are having an impact. I mean, the whole point, I mean, most of what we do is free. We're just doing this to, to help people. The only thing we, we charge for is the regular show, and that's to keep that going. And if we need to say something that we don't want any of these ridiculous platforms stomping on our heads about, you know, we have to have such a thing. But anyway, the next point is labor. Labor is not punishment, but the necessity and nobility, which creates a better society. This is also the reason why Freemasons wear various symbols representing tools used for labor on the cloth. By working, a man shows respect and appreciation to God. To perform well-assigned tasks is a man's highest duty, and labor should give a person to the greatest happiness and internal satisfaction. To Freemasons, labor is worship. And this is where you get the tie-ins with things like fascism and communism, all those kind of ideals, because they also use similar terms where they say, are you a fellow traveler? Meaning, are you one of us? Uh, The communists and all that, they use all those terms too. So you see the crisscrossing of all this secret society stuff. Comrade. Comrade. Duh. Anyone? Anyone? Going once. All right. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm typing in one hand and not listening with the other. That's all right. We've got a couple points to get through yet, and we're almost at the top of the hour, but we can go a little long. I'm cruel with that if you guys are. Next is the level, which is one of the working tools of a fellow craft. It is a symbol of the equality of station of all men before God. The level measures the levelness of horizontal surfaces. Hold, hold, hold on. I've got to interrupt. Will you do that level thing again so that we can all admire the nonsensical nature of what has just been said? <laughs> <laughs> so you are paying attention, yes, it Mr. 777. It's like, what? <laughs> come, come on. Read that sucker one more time, and you tell me one logical person in the chat room can't see the nonsensical nature of that claim it's while they epic. sit there and call the rest of us profane. Where's epic the damn level? Talk. Yeah, where's the level for the pro- for all us profane people? They just got through talking about the profane, <laughs> and, and yeah, right, and separating it from the perfect, and they're gonna, they're gonna this is epic double speak. Go ahead, level schmevel, and that is a temple <laughs> joke. The level is one of the working tools of a fellow craft. It is a symbol of the equality of station of all men before God. Oh shit! But you're not considered a man if you're not one of the brotherhood, right? Is that what we're getting at here? Hmm? The level measures the levelness of horizontal surfaces. It reminds Masons that they're all living their lives upon the level of time. It's flat. It's flat. (laughs) (laughs) I told you all it's flat. We're living on the level of the globe as it spins out. Are you on the level, brother? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. What handshake is that again? (laughs) All right. Next we have the Blazing Star. To quote, the blazing star in our lodges, we have already said, represents Sirius, Anubis, or Mercury, guardian and guide of souls. Our ancient English brethren also considered it an emblem of the sun. In the old lectures, they said, 
The blazing star or glory in the center refers us to that grand luminary, the sun, which enlightens the earth and by its genial influence dispenses blessings to mankind. And that quote is attributed to General Albert Pike, 33rd free degree Freemason. The blazing I, I star think that's a dodge, though, Jason. I think that line you did is a dodge, and I think this plays back, and I'm sorry for interrupting, but this is where they are trying to become the gods. If they were acting like it was the luminary of the sun, which I think I can prove they're not, then there might be some respect for the natural light of this world. What they're doing is they're going with Sirius, and by the way, all those five-pointed cop stars, supposedly those are representing the same thing, but I didn't want to interrupt you, but that one line you just read seems to back up the idea that they're trying to act like they're still interested in a god of some sort, but they're really not. Well, a, a god, but not the god. So. It, it does it doesn't matter because the sun would be the light of this world or it would represent that idea. So, but look how he writes it. The glory in the center refers to the grand luminary. The sun will make up your mind. Is it the blazing star? Is it, is it serious or is it the sun? You can't have it both ways. Hmm. Right. It, it's epic doublespeak. And this is what they of do over and over. Well, this they're epic they speakers. <laughs> they're great. Yeah. At why, why would you choose the brightest star when there's all these magnificent planets and a sun and a moon, what, why would you, you know, I'm just saying, man, because it's, I'll tell you exactly why, because it came up when the Nile was going to flood. This goes back to the Egyptian ideas and it ain't got nothing to do with the supposed Christian God that they're teaching all their window dressing to worship. The blazing star in the center is said to be an emblem of divine providence and commemorative of the star which appeared to guide the wise men of the East to the place of our Savior's nativity. He goes on to say, The blazing star or glory in the center refers us to, the, to that grand luminary, the sun, which enlightens the earth and by its genial influence dispenses blessings to mankind. They called it also in the same lectures an emblem of prudence. The word prudentia means, in its original and fullest signification, foresight. And accordingly, the blazing star has been regarded as an emblem of omniscience or the all-seeing eye, which to the Egyptian initiates was the emblem of Osiris. Pat Drummond, this thank you for the 22R. I don't know what R means. But anyway, thank you for the super chat. That was really kind of you. Thank you. Reals, um, this, this, all, this is just all doublespeak to me. If you carefully look at the structure of these sentences and what's actually being said, it just seems like a bunch of contradictory stuff that seems elegant in some way to me. I don't know how you read it, Baldini, but I mean, come on, even the idea, prudence, you're going to get into this prudentia and all this other nonsense. Um, so the one thing we can say about Sirius is it is the brightest of the stars. We can say that nothing is brighter than Sirius until you get to Venus, until you get to other planets, until you get to a moon of a certain litness and until you get you know to, to these other things well, so what they're the including and they're including the sun as the blazing star glory in the center right the grand luminary of the sun so now we get back to heliocentric heliocentrism uh and the, the it is epic double speak all the way around here well the, the blazing star doesn't hold a candle to the blazing sun you you can't see the blazing star when the blazing sun is up so to put these two things together and i i, I just not i'm not buying from this counter 
Uh, I, agreed. Um, to me, it comes all the way back to the very last thing there, the all-seeing eye, which the Egyptian in- initiates was the emblem of Osiris. And we get right, right. back to uh, Osiris. I- Isis. Isis, too, yep. associated with Sirius. So this this is this is what I, I take out of it. I, I often look at uh, kind of distill down what they're saying, and and you can skip all the double speak. Go from the very beginning. We have you know Helios. We have Mercury, who's the trickster. Anubis, who uh, you know is the uh, one who is the Lord of the Underworld and meets your soul and takes you into hell. Uh, and then we have the the emblem of Osiris. So I think we can put those things together uh, and, and see where they're they're really coming from. It, you have to kind of. Well. Dig well, through gonna, the double speak. Well, I was going to point out, you know, whenever they see, I didn't used to know that the keys were there for us, but everyone can go look at Sirius. It's the dog star. Guess what? It's a dog in the sky. Guess what? It's following Orion. Guess what? It's Orion's dog. <laughs> Guess what? Orion's probably not really Orion. He was probably Hercules at one point, but we'll just call him Orion and go look at the myth. And there's a story with why the constellations are in each other's way like the scorpion is in a place because he's stinging a dude on the heel um you know you can go look at these stories and those end up being key and starting to see a little more clearly about what's being talked about but i mean come on this is double speak of the highest order but i don't know why i'm even making that point because i'm here to tell you not a single person here as far as i know can understand the book of hebrews because i'm guessing no one's been initiated above the royal arch and that book was written by guys above the Royal Arch, provably. So I guess we shouldn't be surprised to see doublespeak everywhere they write. Everywhere. Well, this is also something put out in the public, so what are we expecting? You think they're going to just hand us their tomes that are <laughs> in the lodges for all the profane that, that we are, uh, according to them? I don't think so. Kylie of Darwin, 1984 Paradox. Thank you for the $5. Uh, I guess that's Australian. Regarding last shows on Saturn symbols, plus also the sky clock, had an epiphany that Back to the Future is the movie that just keeps on giving. Well, yes, I agree with that. <laughs> yeah, with uh, with all of these um, symbols, and maybe I should wait until the end, uh, just an epic quote from, from Manly P. Hall. Uh, I guess I'll wait until we get to the end because you have a few more points to get through in the, in the symbols um, regarding uh, the, the symbolism. Um, <laughs> So, so go ahead, and I'll wait to the end to, to break this out because it is uh, an epic quote from, from Hall. And this next one is something that's always kind of caught my attention, the, the, the way they, they talk about it, very amusing, and that is light. Light is a significant Freemason symbol representing truth and knowledge. A Freemason is always seeking light. That's something to always keep in mind and what that might actually mean. When a candidate goes through the initiation and understands the truths of masonry, he is considered enlightened, meaning no longer profane. Though many ancient civilizations worshipped the sun, Freemason's light is not material, but a representation of knowledge. The term leads back to the Sanskrit ruk, R-U-C, meaning shine. Uh, Nicholas Brown, thank you for the 876. Eight is God's number, not seven, as they would have you believe. Thank you for the super chat, brother. So, yeah, this this whole light thing is, um, you know, the underlying truth in the profane um, idea, it's this, it's that the coronavirus encapsulates it. So you could say 90% of the world probably, unfortunately, believes in that. And that's why they're profane, because they're like little babies in diapers who have the ability to go scrutinize what they're being presented with and know the truth, but they don't. Instead, they just believe 
and nonsense and that makes them profane so what in essence is being said this idea of illumination is that the whole world is run on lies and all these stupid sheep out there believe in the lies so they're profane um, but we bring you into our sneaky little lodge here and we teach all these tricky things about the sky clock and uh, we tell you that the Bible is actually encoding all this Egyptian stuff and we tell you why Sirius is important. You're no longer profane because now you believe in real things. That's the underlying idea. I mean, wouldn't you agree, Baldini? Yeah, and I think this is uh, – I'm going to break this um, this Manly Hall quote out now because this is the perfect place for it. Um, and this is the quote that says, When the human race learns to read the language of symbolism, a great veil will fall from the eyes of men. They shall then know truth, and uh, more than that, they shall realize that from the beginning truth has been in the world unrecognized, save by a small but gradually increasing number appointed by the lords of dawn – as ministers of the needs of human creatures struggling to regain their consciousness of divinity. Now, you want to tear that one apart, Crow? <laughs> I mean, I, I think it, it pretty clearly uh, states what we've been saying all, all night here, is that the language of symbolism uh, is uh, used as a veil uh, to cover up the truth and to keep the people uh, unenlightened. Uh, and the Lords of the Dawn, the Order of the Golden Dawn, uh, and to uh, co-regain their consciousness of their divinity. Uh, this is a, a means of apotheosis. To me, it's pretty clear, in, in spite of the double speed. All right. Next, we have the cedar. It is a symbol of eternity. Cedar is a long-lived and powerful tree reaching 40 meters from the pine family. Freemasonry is often a symbol of the Lebanese seer from the Lebanon mountains, which is considered the national tree of Lebanon, appearing on the Lebanese flag, also known as the cedar land. This cedar was used to build the Temple of Jerusalem, 3 Kings 5, 6, 7, and the Ark of the Covenant. It is often mentioned in the Bible, and it often appears in Masonic legends, especially for higher grades. And if you go and look up a bunch of the the not normal symbols that you see in the, in the everyday uh, uses and all that, like in, in the, uh, the halls and all that, you'll see a lot of interesting different things and, and trees and, and outreaches and things like that. Crow, what was the book that we did a show on a while back? And it had all of these symbols. A lot of one, a lot of ones aren't, that aren't uh, quite as common as, as the, the basic ones we normally see. Oh, I think we lost bird guy. Hmm. But you're still here, right, Baldini? I'm, I am still here. Okay, I hear you. Okay. All right, well, we'll see what happened to him in a moment. He's still on here, isn't he? Let me check Let me check the Skypes. I think he is. Uh, in a, a moment oh, ago, he, he said, said he'll be right back. He just, I just saw the text. Never mind. But then, yeah, but then he left and came back, I thought, <laughs> so I was confused. No, I'm back. He's no, back. He's okay. Back. There we go. Sure. So anyway, did, uh, I think you missed the part where I said, what was the book that we did a show on a while ago that was written by a Freemason that had all the symbolism in it. And there were a lot of stuff that weren't as common as a, a lot of the normal things we see in their everyday uses. Are you talking about the book written by Freemasons for the general public? Or are you talking yeah. about the devil's pulpit? No, no, not the devil's pulpit, although that's a damned good book too. But the, uh, the one that we did a full show on, we, we both read. Yeah, it that's, that's, um, I forget the name. Damn. What is the name of it? It's a book written by a 33rd degree Mason, yeah. and it was it was actually one of those temporarily revealing the hand, you know, addressing a lot of the things that had yeah, typically yeah, been yeah, denied it, it in public. It kind of said more than I was expecting, to be honest with you. Is that, is that not the secret teachings of the ages from Hall? 
No, no, no. no. It was okay. it was uh, from a Michigan hundreds. Yeah, seems well, like it was from a Michigan um, uh, library. Oh, I remember that now. I remember that episode. I think it's a brown book. And damn, Jason, you know my room, man. I got so many stacks <laughs> of books. It take it take me at least a half an hour to find it. Well, if you want to just look it up real quick, I'll do the last point, and then if you think of it, that'll be something good to uh, throw in at the end here. But the last symbol is the acacia. To Freemasons, acacia is a symbol of the immortality of the soul. By its evergreen and unchanging nature, this sacred plant reminds a person that we will all strive to follow a better spiritual path within us. Our spirituality is as an emanation from the grand architect of the universe, and as such, it can never die. Acacia plays an important part in the ritual of Freemasonry, and the plant is also a symbol of innocence. And grows in Africa. Hmm. So, um, I cannot think of anything that would make that easy to do a search engine search real quick for that book. But anyway, we can uh, we can mention that again. But anyway, the uh, the things in that book were interesting because they actually did kind of i don't know if you want to say tip the hand but they definitely revealed more than just about anyone sky, else ever did yeah they they did all the sky clock stuff they did all the orientation of the temple they did all these things because it used to be uh they denied anything to do with the sky clock and this was like one of the earlier and what was do you remember jason it seems like that was written in like the 60s or something no that was from the do you 1800s remember? oh it was from that far back yeah I didn't remember that part. But the thing about it was the tessellated floor was explained in terms of how the sun. See, it's like, have you ever noticed when you go out in the world, all those great Catholic church that have two towers? There's your first hint that masonry sprung from the Vatican. All those Catholic churches are oriented in the same direction, and it has to do with the sun. And in the Masonic thing, you've got the two pillars, but even in the way they used to make the temples hint hint they call them all temples um where'd that come from i wonder <laughs> uh, it all goes back to the jewish temple on the mount so this idea that somehow judaism and christianity are separate and and this this whole construct that's been made is to lead you astray to be bigoted and not understand why they're doing what they're doing you don't have to agree with it you get to choose your religious tradition in this world um and that's part of it um, how are you going to choose your religious tradition if you're a person who thinks, well, I got this choice, this choice, and this choice. I got three choices. I could be Jewish, I could be Christian, I could be Muslim. Well, there's infinitely more choices than that. And anyone who's read the New Testament will tell you, you seek the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God within. And that should tell you something critically important. But my point is, when they showed the breakout of the sky clock, how the checker floor works and the shadow patterns, they were openly showing uh, something that they denied right along that, you know, we're not watching the sky. Astrology has what they called astrology plays no game here. And yeah, BS. It plays every role and it has always played every role. And I think that's why Jason and I were a bit surprised to see the open admission uh, on a bunch of these things that, it, that tied in the architecture. But I want to point out there is no damn difference between anything they said in that Masonic book for Masons and the general public about the sky clock and the orientation of a Masonic temple and any Catholic church that has the two towers that is oriented east and west with the sun. No difference at all. All doing the same thing. Chris YT said Masonic Lexicon by Albert G. Mackey from 1854. Is this it? I'm trying to find it on... Is it brown? 
Is it is it brown? What what? I Can't... am looking at it on online and i'm seeing like so many different covers for this thing i i don't see any of them looks like the book we had but it might Asotic be that one lexicon i'll know because i read that thing cover to cover yeah i read it cover to cover too but i don't see the cover <laughs> that that could that could be i see some that are close see we got a paperback so we even got the cheap version yeah yeah no, I think I, I'm pretty sure the one we had was a little newer than this, Jason. If you remember, then I'll go with it. But I could have swore we were talking the 50s or the 60s. No, it was there were no these and thous and those for one thing. No, well, right? I don't know. We'll we'll look it up. You might be right though, uh, Chris YT. I'm I'm not 100 percent certain anymore. We've done so many shows that it starts to uh, be hard to remember every single little detail of everything we've done at this point. I, I've got a minor library going on behind me, and I don't have a Dewey Decimal card system, unfortunately. You do, and I'm I'm going to be very amused once you get the little doodad and uh, see how much stuff is on it and how much fun you have trying to sort through that. It seems a lot easier than going through stacks of books because, like, my wife will clean up. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, what did you do? <laughs> oh, I should probably mention what I'm referring to. Crow just ordered himself a Kindle so that he can start getting uh, a lot of these books that are available only yeah, in digital. Yeah, but don't, don't tell him why yet because I don't want the source to go away before I get my 72 hours no. of filling my Kindle. It's just because <laughs> I send you tons of stuff digital and you want to be able to read them and it's easier than having stacks of books, as you said. As a matter of fact, I liked that idea so much. I got myself one for my birthday <laughs> that's coming tomorrow. Well, we'll see. You know, I, I started thinking 32 gigs. How many books is that? Maybe everything I own. Well, so, mine's only four I, gigabytes because I found a good price on a used one. And th supposedly you could fit a zillion on, on just that. So I don't think you're ever going to fill up uh, 32 gigabytes unless you put a bunch of images on there. Well, I'll, I'll probably be doing maps and stuff. That's the other thing I want to start rescuing the old illuminated maps because very few people understand those old maps, man, there is so much in the corner illumination. It's always the four seasons or almost always, but they have the ecliptic, the path of the sun, the two hemispheres, and then the symbology that's put into the illumination were commonly held what would you call it, Baldini? It's not like it's not icons. It's it's metaphors in art. It's it's similes and metaphors iconography. in art. Yeah, iconography that everybody recognized. And by the way, to put a fine point on it, did you know that as recent as the 1800s, if a man gave a woman like an iris, he wasn't just giving her a beautiful purple flower. The type Every, of all flower, of them had meaning. Yeah, right. The type the colors, of flower yeah. being an iris had a meaning. The color. Of the flower had a meaning and not only that other things about it so sure the day of this, the week you gave it to her on the, season, the time of day it all have meaning yeah that's right and we've and the book of hours i mean there's so much we go into but this is how far we've fallen all the nations used to have a thing called the book of hours and it was it was basically astrology and it was to set all the important events for the year um, to include things like harvest or maybe like easter uh, but that's a bad example because Easter's a whole other story. But my point being is the amount of meaning and symbolism in everything humans did within each other was commonly known except for what the royals were taught. So they had secret knowing and symbolism above that. Um, but we don't know any of it. I mean, someone now gets to Valentine's Day, they're lucky if they recognize the meaning behind a yellow versus a red rose. And right. by the they way, there is a flower. Yeah. yeah, they just want the flower because they don't understand anymore. 
All right. Somebody asked a question in the chat room that I think would be great for us to talk about. And Baldini, if you would like, you could tie this in with uh, your research and let us know where you're at with your podcast. Uh, sure. Benjamin is asking if we could talk about how our high, our high minds level up. Is it research aligned with Skyclock? Do you still feel do you still feel growth of your higher mind? I, I think we're talking about, for me, that's two different things. One of them is gaining information that you can count on called knowledge, not just regurgitated. I memorized this thing someone told me. But the, re the way to start to be able to get knowledge you can count on is to change the way your mind works. For me, the only way I know how to do it is quit believing in things for about a year. And I mean everything. And then for some reason, like the chemistry or how you think changes, and then like when at the beginning of the year you see news and you think, oh, I don't think I trust that, and then you start looking for the reasons you don't trust it. At the end of the year, you hear one sentence and it smells like something's on fire in the kitchen. Yeah. You know beyond the shadow of doubt that you've just been lied to. You don't even give a damn about the details because you know it's a lie and you walk away. When you've done that process of stopping believing in things and to be blunt about it, you literally don't know that one and one is two. You have to figure that out again. Let me see. One, two. Yep, that's right. I can keep that forever. Um, that's what I'm talking about. So all that crap you learned in school. What about the song? What's that Paul Simon school? I, I can't imagine all the crap I learned in high school. It's it's a wonder I can think at all. What do you think those people are, are singing about? Because they had the education we didn't. And the point here is until you stop believing and regurgitating and acting like you've been taught something in life, your chemistry, your brain won't switch over to your higher adult mind as far as I know. That's the only way I know how to do it. Maybe Baldini has a different way. It's, you know, it's very similar. I mean, I, this is the way I would put it is the difference between um, knowledge and understanding. Uh, the knowledge is simply the information and, and anybody w with a decent memory, if they apply themselves, can can gather knowledge. You can read it in a book. You, you can just regurgitate what you've what you've learned uh, that somebody else has gathered. But that is simply knowledge. Uh, the difference is understanding is the ability to translate that into uh, in, into uh, the ability to use that information. Uh, so uh, as I've likened it, uh, a guy can read uh, a ton of books on how to climb a mountain, but the guy with the understanding has done it. He, he knows how to climb the mountain. Uh, and and so who, who do you want it to Sherpa for you? Do you want the guy who has uh, knowledge about it, who's read a few books, or, or do you want the guy who's been there a dozen times? Well, I, I want the guy who's been there a, a, a few dozen times. And, and this is the difference between knowledge and, and understanding. The understanding is that you're able to put that information to use. And part of that is is through the the internalization of it. And then to me, the the third level of that is the distillation, which is, the, which is wisdom. Uh, and wisdom then is the ability to project that into the future to take uh, what your the knowledge the, the information and the understanding and then to look at a situation and sort of project that a little bit further uh, and then and then to to quickly identify uh, a situation as crow was saying you could look at the news and, and immediately recognize that this is wisdom to, to immediately recognize that that doesn't have the smell of truth to it it has the, the smell of bovine scatology as i say is bullshit uh, <laughs> that Right, um, that that you immediately recognize uh, that this is disinformation or misinformation, 
even if there's accurate information within it. Uh, but but those are the the ways that I have the the three levels. Is there's the knowledge, uh, which anybody can gain, uh, understanding, which you have to experience it in, in a way that makes it personal to you, uh, and then finally wisdom, uh, which very few people seem to get to, uh, which is the ability to translate that into into a forward looking and, and to distillate uh, and use sort of an inductive reasoning to to pull apart things using a combination of inductive and deductive reasoning to kind of push it forward uh, and to take that information and make it of value to to, to others hopefully um, so th- that's it's not that dissimilar from from what crow described i just have maybe a different way of putting it and how is your research going have you uh, got anything yeah, so- you want to share about that Sure. It's um, almost overwhelming at this point. So it's just me doing it. And so initially, I had um, initially thought that it would just be kind of a small study and just perhaps to um, to, to uh, identify and, and get some proof of concepts and some ideas and some hypotheses that I had. And not only did that happen, but uh, the, the results have been overwhelming. There was a lot of people who kind of waited until later. And every day, I still get uh, a, a pretty good swath of people going, hey, I've been meaning to email you for a while. Uh, and there's a lot of information to go through because it's not just the um, the first information I really have to uh, take time to read uh, the stories and to pull apart these these bits of information so it takes a good bit of time uh, but what I what I'm coming to is um, a lot of uh, a, a lot of great material and, and again been so uh, impacted by by these stories uh, so many of the things that um, uh, that, that I initially uh, anticipated might be true certainly is that there there are corollary uh, identifying uh, factors between people who uh, who kind of wake up and, and those who don't, uh, and and there are some outliers in that, but um, but overall uh, there seems to be um, so, some similarities between people. But uh, there there are one of the primary factors uh, that is that people have the time to do it. Uh, that they have to have uh, and dedicate a certain amount of time, and usually an inordinate amount of time, uh, to to spend on actually pondering these things, and not just to take a cursory look and get an answer from Wikipedia or, or from uh, the mainstream sources and go, "Yep, okay, checkbox. It's uh, that's nonsense or whatever." You got to really uh, take a turn time. To, to ponder these things and to let it sink down and to get what I would you know call uh, understanding not just the not just the information but the understanding <clears throat> and so uh, this led me to, to uh, finally um, start putting together my own podcast and as I did did that oh my gosh I put it together and so I was gonna uh, had it all together it's really nice um, gonna be there on the the first of, of March and I just started I kept editing on it because I really wanted it to be super nice and uh, I had used uh, some background material uh, some clips in that that as I kept trying to upload it on on the afternoon of the first on Sunday, uh, YouTube kept preventing me from doing it because it kept identifying and said um, that you've got material in this, and I'm like, I'm not even done uploading it. The algorithms <laughs> grabbed it, so I had to basically pull it apart and um, and uh, verify that some of these. So I basically uh, redid it with original music uh, for one thing. Uh, so all, all the all the music beds in it will be original, and I had to take out some of the some of the clips um, from different people talking. Um, and, and so I'm recompiling it now, and then I just got overwhelmed with other stuff, and so uh, hopefully I'll have it up. 
up, uh, you know, within within the next few days. Um, had to just pull it pull it all apart and redo it, and then um, the part of it uh, got messed up, and so it just it was really discouraging, especially since I've uh, spent so much time with, with professional audio and doing this kind of thing for for a, a lot of years. It was kind of like embarrassing, going, "Oh my gosh, <laughs> I know I know better than to do that, right?" So especially to wait until the last minute, you just never do that. Um, but, but I was trying to you know make it real nice. But um, I will probably will will transfer once I get the first couple out of the way that that really um, lay down the premise for this whole thing and, and what's going on. Um, thereafter, it's going to be um, probably more of a live uh, format, much like you're doing here, uh, that that I can um, really uh, show. Uh, People, I think, from personal experience and from the stories of others, uh, how similar uh, all these stories are. Uh, that that um, you, you're not alone. There are so many people that I come in contact with who uh, are a little uh, shaken uh, when they when they have a new paradigm, uh, and, and they they find that their beliefs are not true. Right, and that they've been deceived, and it, it takes a certain type of individual to to come to grips with that, to realize that they have believed in a lie, uh, and, and believed a lot of things that weren't true for a long period of time, and in fact, uh, over time, maybe even argued vociferously for some of those things uh, as being uh, accurate. And so, it does take a certain type of individual who's able to to accept that and to, and to face their their ego. And to and to let go of those things, and then again take a period of time uh, to to sort of marinate with that and to adjust. Uh, but some, you know, the, some people uh, want to immediately get out and try to evangelize other people and and tell everybody about it, and then they get a lot of pushback, and and um, that some for some people shuts them down pretty hard. Different people respond somewhat differently to it, but but overall, what you, what you'll find as we go through these is that um, most people's stories have a similar quality. They're not all identical, but there's a similarity between them. Uh, and I want to sort of go through and expose this, and then once you see the those similarities, this is my hope is that we can uh, begin to identify other people you can share this with, and then plant those seeds in a way uh, that will allow those seeds to grow with other people, uh, so we can expose them to the truth and get them to wake up to these ideas and and that's something that i think um jason both you and crow have done um pretty successfully over the last three or four years is to plant seeds in such a way of, without making um strong claims of, of uh, fact and, and instead saying just question these things right so so it's better to ask questions than to claim things as truth uh and and i think that you'll find um, you, you'll find uh, a lot of things there if you take the time and effort to go through it on your own uh, I, I think you that people um, if they're willing and it does take a willingness to do it but I'm, I'm pretty excited about the things that I've come to so far and, and I think once I um, get into phase two of this and start to look at some other aspects um, that it'll be pretty revealing uh, that um, that there are some similarities and uh, that they um, the powers that be they know a great deal about the psychology of people and how willing people are to <laughs> to accept uh, what's been told to them, right? That that they uh, are people are willing to take the path of le least resistance and to to give over their mind. And if if they uh, have a certain amount of trust for somebody, they're willing to to give up the ability the 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 idea of questioning it and just accept it at face value. 
and they're very, very, very good at putting in people into a state uh, of um, suspended disbelief that uh, they, they are able to be suggestible, uh, and they're very good at it. And there are some people who are less susceptible to that, and those seem to be the ones who wake up first, and then uh, and then they're the ones who often uh, have the ability to, to wake other people up. So we'll, we'll see how it goes, but I'm, I'm pretty excited about it at this point. It is, it is a an enormous amount of work, i got to say that, in, in trying to sort through these things. I'm using a variety of methodologies and means to, to pull out um, from the people's uh, stories um, the, the bits and pieces there. But um, m- my original hypothesis is very close to being accurate. Um, I, I did find proof of concept there. And so um, I'll be um, delighted to, to show um, these things in, a, in, in a, a metrics that people can understand. So. Right. I don't want to be I don't want to be pushy, but I got to be back in front of this mic in less than twelve hours, and I've been in front of this mic four times a day over the last week. So well, you're not the only one. So let me read this That's... last super chat from Mountain Smithy for five bucks. Thank you so much, man. Hebrews equals free and accepted masons of the Hebraic degree, Royal Arch Masonry, ones who have passed over. Their emblem equals what? IHS Jesuit Spirit World. All right, I think we're going to sign off there. We can always pick this up next week if we have any last-minute stuff because we're half an hour over that we usually do. So I want to thank everybody. Everybody on DLive, about half of them anyway, bailed when Owen went live. So uh, understandable, DLive is mostly for the bears. But hey, guys, thank you so much for showing up. This was the biggest turnout we've ever had, so I'm really happy with that. Thank you to everybody who gave Super Chats. And we will see you on, uh, let's see, we already released our episode this week, Crow, so next thing will be our live stream on Sunday. So thank you, everybody, and have a great night.
Thank you. 